Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC information. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Another episode, January 29th, coming to you live from my apartment down here in Mankato, Minnesota, where I go to college at Minnesota State Mankato. Another week and uh, warm weather. In Minnesota here, um, for my international listeners, Minnesota is one of the rare states here in the United States of America where we get all four seasons, and winter is usually very tough down here, but not so bad um, this past season in the 23 to 24 winter time. And right now, it was in the 40s today. It was nice. I wore a t-shirt to class. I was I wanted to go out and walk around if I would have had time. I mean, it was, it was very enjoyable. And so it was my past weekend. Going to see my family, my dogs, my girlfriend. Just amazing, amazing vibes. Amazing vibes this past weekend. Very blessed for all the uh, all the good times that I've been having. I'll tell you what wasn't the best of times, and that was watching the NFL conference games as quite honestly the last thing every NFL fan, unless you're a Chief or 49ers fan, um, the last thing we all wanted to happen was the Chiefs and 49ers making the Super Bowl. We'll be capping off this episode with a full review of both games and uh, yeah, just kind of talk about what went down, what went wrong, what to look forward to in the NFL season. Also, in our series of looking back on my time watching UFC, we'll be reviewing the year 2020 in the UFC, looking at all the events, fighters that retired, fighters that debuted, all sorts of fun activities. As well, we'll be uh, looking back through our, or not looking back, but um, doing a uh, review of the chapters I've read in the 48 Laws of Power. I read three more chapters in the past couple days, so we'll be looking back at that. I said I was going to finish that book by February. That's probably not going to happen, but at the same time, as long as I'm reading each day, I suppose that's I suppose that's a good thing. I'm also going to talk about the Royal Rumble. That's right, WWE Royal Rumble. We'll be talking about that soon, as well as a new segment I'm going to be doing, UFC-related, of course, and that is every UFC champion's chance of becoming a double champion in the UFC. We got a fun episode for you all today. Let's get right on into it, and we kick things off with, of course, what we do every single time, and that is new UFC news, and we haven't had much. We honestly have not had much. Um, I saw that Melsig Bagdasarian is out of his fight with, um, I think it's like Emil or something. I don't know. That's February 10th, some UFC Apex event. Melsig Bagdasarian, very good kickboxer. Weakness is grappling, so I don't really know what's going to happen with him or if there'll be a replacement, but that is a fight that will be changed. The only real information that I can give you guys that was announced was a new UFC 300 bout, and that is in the women's strawweight division between number four ranked Jessica Andrade and number six ranked Marina Rodriguez. Very cool. Very interesting that um, that fight's going down. A lot of people are hating. A lot of people are hating on this fight. And I understand it's UFC 300. You want to see legends. You want to see huge fights. But this is not a bad fight, guys. All right? This is not a bad fight. And honestly, there I've seen a lot of sexist UFC fans saying that it is wrong. We have so many women's fights on this car, on the UFC 300 car. Let me just tell you something. Marina Rodriguez has had multiple UFC main events. She was at one point one fight away for the title. It was actually her fight against Amanda Lemos. The winner was going to fight Zhang Weili, and she lost that, unfortunately. But she came back this past year and absolutely destroyed Michelle um, Watterson Gomez. 
absolutely obliterated her face. Boxing was on point. It was amazing to see. And as for Jessica Andrade, had one of the craziest 2023s of any um, any woman. Honestly, she probably had the craziest, craziest year. I mean, kicking it off. First off, we'll, we'll start back in April 2022, where she submits uh, Amanda Lemos with a standing arm triangle, the first in UFC history. Very impressive. Following that, in January of 2023, she would land over 200 significant strikes on Lauren Murphy in her home nation of Brazil. Absolutely amazing performance. After that, it was a rough going for Jessica Andrade. In February, would do a main event on short notice against Aaron Blanchfield and get finished in round number two. She would then come back, not even three months later in May, and get knocked out in two minutes and 20 seconds by Jan Chayoted, who is now actually fighting at UFC 300 for the belt. Fun fact, after that, in August, she would turn around another turnaround. So as what is May to August? That would be six to eight. So like a three-month turnaround for her, five-date, actually, um, and gets submitted in round two by Tatiana Suarez. So we're like, oh, my gosh. She started off the year so good. Now she's on three-fight losing streak. She's not going to get a fifth fight in. And she does get a fifth fight in and drops Mackenzie Dern four times at UFC 295 and knocks her out in the second round. This fight is going to be absolutely fun. Um, and it's amazing prelim. It's amazing prelim. And people are hating on it. But look, I, it doesn't bother me whatsoever at all. And it's been the only fight announcement we had all weekend. There, there, was, there was no news to even talk about. So um, UFC 300 is slowly shaping up. I mean, we're now up to... 11 fights now of course let me recap the current bout order as it was announced by the UFC that they actually put the BMF title bout between Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway over Zhang Wei Li and Yan Chaonin and this has very interesting stipulations because if no one knows, the UFC has never really done this. It was only in 2021 that they adopted a co-main event being five rounds. That had never been a thing before, like ever. So the UFC is slowly bending the rules, and it looks like they're being realistic. It looks like they're saying, okay, obviously the hype for Gaethje and Holloway is bigger than the women's strawweight title fight between Zhang Wei and Yan Chaonin. And they're basically saying, we will put bigger fights over championship fights that we know people don't care about. So on the official UFC's listing, they had Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway as the current co-main event. The third fight on the main card will be Zhang Weili and Yan Chaonin. Fight after that, Charles Oliveira and Armin Tazukrian. And after that, Jiri Prochaska and Alexander Rakic. Now, obviously, obviously that is set to change. There will be more fights added. We're at 11. My prediction is there'll be 14. So by April 13th, yeah, I believe April 13th is when UFC 300 goes down. You should see about should see about three three more fights being announced. Um, current card, Bobby Green versus Jim Miller. The stipulations for that is basically amazing lightweight bout. Jim Miller has fought and won on UFC 100 and 200, which will actually both be uh, looking at both of those events on a future episode coming up. And Jim Miller has been calling to fight for UFC 300. The fans have been looking forward to it. And Jim Miller is a finisher, which the fans love. And Bobby Green is never not entertaining when he steps in the octagon. Of course, Jessica Andrade, Marina Rodriguez, huge stipulations at women's strawweight as we continue to see new contenders arise in the women's strawweight division. I mean, Jan Chayonen, very deserving, but in the number two woman is Tatiana Suarez, who is 11-0 and had two round two finishes in 2023. Very impressive. 
um, Amanda Lemos versus she'll be taking on who's Amanda Lemos take on Mackenzie Dern the winner of that you could easily throw in the tub competition again Amanda Hemas and Rose Nama Yunez going at it I mean Lupi Godinez on the come up you have so many women Tabitha Ritchie even so many fun women that is going to be a big one and it's this is a fight you would usually see on a pay-per-view main card or even an apex fight night and to get it on probably the early prelims very very appreciative um, Sodik Yusuf versus Diego Lopez. Sodik Yusuf coming off one of the best fights of 2023 against Edson Barbosa. And Diego Lopez has had three fights in the UFC in 2023, by the way, made his debut and was just the most explosive prospect we've seen forever. Takes Mosvar Evlov, who's now the number five featherweight in the world, who is 18-0 undefeated, took him to a decision and almost submitted him four different times, probably even more during the fight. Incredible. Follows that up with two round one finishes, both earning him a performance bonus, getting a ranked opponent. Women's bantamweight, um, Holly Holm versus Kayla Harrison. I So many people are critiquing this. This is an amazing fight. This would usually be on the main card of a pay-per-view or even on a f- main event of a fight night. Kayla Harrison, one of the best women's prospects outside of the UFC. She's 16-1, so dominant. And Holly Holmes, legend of the UFC. This is an amazing fight. Literally, people are hating on this, are actually sexist. Like, you know, so, sometimes you'll be with your boys, you know, not to be crude, but you'll make sexist jokes, you know, you're not actually sexist. Some people are actually saying this fight is ruining the card. That's just not the case. If, if anything, if anything, you know, it's just a good prelim. It's just a good prelim, so don't hate. Another huge fight, Devis and Figueredo, Cody Garbrandt, of course, Devis and Figueredo, Cody Garbrandt, were supposed to fight for the flyweight title back in November of 2020. That never materialized due to COVID. Cody Garbrandt, Coming off a huge knockout, Davis and Figueredo winning his bantamweight debut. This is an amazing prelim. Middleweight, you get Bo Nickel and Cody Brundage. Look, all you need to know about Cody Brundage is that he's a jobber who's being fed to Bo Nickel, who they're trying to bring up. Bo Nickel's amazing, amazing wrestler. And Cody Brundage is a step up from his past three opponents, um, so very much will enjoy when Bo Nickel fights. Calvin Cater, Aljamain Sterling, I mean, what more do you need? Top 10. Uh, featherweight fighter Calvin Cater taking on former bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling making his uh, division debut against Calvin Cater and Calvin Cater such such an inspirational fighter and he's been on a terrible string of late I mean obviously loses to Max Holloway in 2021 uh, the most significant strikes landed on a human uh, in the UFC after that beats Giga Chikadze in 2022 Loses a terrible decision to Josh Emmett. I thought he won that fight. And then suffers an injury against Arnold Allen in the latter part of that year. He's finally back. Happy to see him. Should be a good fight against Aljamain Sterling. We get into the big four fights currently on the card. Jerry Prochaska, former men's light heavyweight champion, and Alexander Rakic, who was probably going to beat Jan Blachowicz back in 2022 before suffering an injury. This fight is massive. The winner will most likely be getting the title shot next against Alex Pajero or potentially Magomed Akhalayev, Jamal Hill, who's ever championed by the summer. Charles Oliveira, Armin Tazukian. I mean, what more do you want me to say? If you're a UFC fan, you know Charles Oliveira. And if you're a very good UFC fan, you know Armin Tazukian. Armin on the come up, recently broke into the top four after a one-minute knockout of Benil Dariush in December. And Charles Oliveira, former men's lightweight champion, he's knocked out, oh my gosh, he's knocked down Justin Gaethje and submitted him. He has submitted Dustin Poirier. He's knocked out Michael Chandler. This guy is so legit. He is so incredible. And he's trying to fight back to um, fight Islam Makachev again. We'll see what happens. Zhang Weili versus Jan Cheonin for the Women's Strawweight Championship. Zhang Weili is so exciting. Look, people are going to hand this. Why is there a women's title fight on UFC 300? This is supposed to be the biggest, baddest fights. 
This is an all-China women's fight for the first time in UFC history. Zhang Weili is so likable, such a badass. She deserves this spot. I'm glad it's not the co-main event. It'll probably be the third fight on the main card, or even the fourth, if they had two, two, two more title fights to this card. And Yan Cheonin is coming off a massive knockout of Jessica Andrade. She's worked way up. She's earned this. And your current biggest fight on UFC 300, the BMF belt, the baddest mother ever, Justin Gaethje faces Max Holloway, two of the best, two of the baddest. Justin Gaethje has, and this UFC tenure has only lost to former champions, all right? His losses are to Dustin Poirier, who he was an interim champ. We'll give him that. He was an interim champ, fought for the belt. Eddie Alvarez, who was men's lightweight champion, and Khabib Nurmagomedov, and Charles Oliveira, all right? Those are four legends in the men's lightweight division, and Max Holloway has never been knocked out in his career, former featherweight champion. Max Holloway's beaten everybody in the UFC, except for Alexander Volkanovsky uh, as of late. I mean, obviously, he lost to Dustin Poirier in 2019, but that's when we get too specific. That's going to be an amazing, amazing fight. Very much interested to see what other fights the UFC adds to UFC 300. Um, The big rumor right now is that since they'll put the BMF belt over the women's strawweight belt is that they would put Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor as the main event. Which honestly, the UFC hasn't outruled yet. They have not even said what close to what could be the main event for UFC 300. Um, I personally would love to see McGregor fight Michael Chandler on there. Uh, if we look for the men's pound-for-pound pound rankings right now, if we kind of go through the rankings, try and pick out some fighters who you could see in the main event, number one pound-for-pound pound fighter is Amakchev. He'll be fighting in the summer, most likely, at International Fight Week, you know, the July-June range as Ramadan's coming up, and Islam doesn't even have an opponent. All, all his potential opponents, Charles Oliveira, Armin, Justin Gaethje, they're all busy, all right? Number two men's pound front fighter, John Jones. I mean, he's hurt. Probably would have made a main event to this had he not been injured. Such a shame that John Jones will be out for 2024, most likely. Um, Leon Edwards, well, the, the, the general consensus is him versus Bilal Muhammad might be the co-main event of UFC 300. I really like that fight. He obviously won't be the main event. I will say, I've said this numerous amount of times, if he fights Shavkat, I think that could potentially be the main event. Leon versus Shavkat is obviously the more exciting fight, but if we're just trying to stack up a main card and try and do like the biggest main card of all time, Leon versus Bilal could still do that job. Number five, men's pound-for-pound fighter, your current men's light heavyweight champion, Alex Pajera. Doesn't have a current fight book, but him versus Jamal Hill is not strong enough to main event UFC 300. Plus, they're going to Rio de Janeiro in May, so you can definitely see Alex Pajera on that card. And uh, your new middleweight champion, Driscus Duplessis, is one of the favorites to main event, potentially against Israel Asanya or Hamza Chemaev. The Adesanya one makes more sense. You know, because, I mean, Adesanya getting a minute title shot is nothing new. He's a huge star, and these two guys hate each other. The Hamza fight doesn't really make sense, but could be equally as um, as a good, equally as good as of a fight. Uh, Alexander Pantoja, your men's flyweight champion, he'll be fighting in the summer, I think he announced. Israel Asanya, your number 10 pound pound fighter, we've already mentioned him, that he'll probably be uh, coming back at some point. Could be the main event against Duplessis, could be against Hamza on the main card, we'll see. Sean Strickland, I don't know if he's going to turn around. It's kind of a quick turnaround, um, but you know what? Anything can happen. The last uh, main champion, uh, Tom Aspinall. It's a shame that we won't see Tom Aspinall in UFC 300. He's probably going to fight in England in the summer, but it's apparently, according to Tom, this is according to Tom Aspinall, is he was offered the main event against Stipe Miocic for the interim heavyweight belt, and Stipe turned it down. So pretty big news there. We'll see what comes of all that. 
But when we look through all the men's divisions, I mean, looking at men's heavyweight to start, you got Cyril Gunn, um, Tom Aspinall. I'm seeing that as the fight this summer. So, I mean, that leaves number three, Sergey Pavlovich, and at best, number six, Alexander Volkov open, but I think they're Russian boys, so I don't really know if we're going to see that. Personally, personally, Alexander Volkov versus Derek Lewis would be an outstanding fight for UFC 300, a, a rematch from 2018. I think Volkov and um, Derek Lewis would be an amazing fight to do on that card. No other real big fighters at heavyweight. I mean, obviously, apparently Brock Lesnar has been rumored to be returning. Uh, that is definitely not happening after the whole incident with uh, him, Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis. We'll mention that when we talk about the Royal Rumble. MN's light heavyweight. Obviously, there's a bit of a little triangle at the top. Alex Pajera is either going to be defending against Jamal Hill or Magbanan Kalaev. It's hard to say. Jamal Hill never really lost the belt, beat Glover for it. But Magbanan came out and impressively knocked out Johnny Walker, well, as Jamal's done nothing since uh, 2020, since January 2023. It's been a year since he last fought. So we'll see what happens there. Number six, Nikita Krylov um, could potentially fight someone like Khalil Roundtree Jr. That'd be a big fight. But honestly, I'm not really seeing any other fights for a light heavyweight that are massive for the division. I mentioned a numerous amount of times that at men's middleweight, Isola Sanya, Jared Kanier, Hamza Jamayev, Drissus Duplessis. I feel like there's going to be something with those guys. I don't really know. But um, Hamza versus Jared Kanier could easily be put on the main card, as well as Adesanya versus Duplessis. I would like both of those fights. At welterweight, I mean, Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, I, those would be two huge names to have on UFC 300. They don't even have opponents yet. I don't know what's going on at men's welterweight. But I think the consensus is Leon Edwards will be fighting on that card. Men's lightweight, as we mentioned, number five, Rick Michael Chandler, could be taking on Conor McGregor at 185, 170. I don't know what's going on, but Dan Hooker, number ranked number 10, Dan Hooker, called out number seven, Benil Dariush, for a fight at UFC 300, saying, hey, let's throw down. That's a banger of a fight. I would very much enjoy that. Um, and as we get into kind of the lower lower weight classes, I mean, there's not too many super fights. I mean, Giga Chikadze doesn't have a fight. He could... He could maybe fight Arnold Allen? I, I don't know. Actually, Arnold kind of looked banged up after his fight against Mozart Evlov. Corey Sanhagen doesn't have a fight, but the next closest person he could fight is Umar Nurmagomedov, so I don't know if that's going to happen. And at flyweight, there's really no super fights to make. We'll see what happens in the, the coming, coming weeks, coming months. For UFC 300, but all we can do now is speculate. We'll see what happens, but I'll make sure to keep everyone updated on what fights get announced. And speaking of announcing, huh? how about the Royal Rumble? Didn't we have fun watching that? No. So the Royal Rumble, if no one knows, that's WWE. WWE um, is something I used to watch all the time as a kid, and the Royal Rumble is a staple of that. 30 men, 30 women both come out one at a time. It's a huge event. They have celebrities. Influencers go there. It trends on Twitter everywhere, and it's super fun. Is super interesting. However, this past one was not the most exciting thing that I've watched. Um, I don't really want to say it was. Eh, I'll say it. It was. It wasn't the best. It was kind of bad. Um, went down at Tropicana Field in Florida. Forty-eight thousand and forty-four WWE fans showed up for that. WWE fans are unlike any other. Um, the two big news that came out of this was that CM Punk. Uh, he actually returned. Played on this card, super interesting, but um, he actually tore his tricep 
in the match. CM Punk's big return to the WWE after 10 years ruined after he tears his triceps. So he'll probably be out for, gosh, maybe the remainder of the year until the summer. It's very unfortunate news. And the fact he didn't win the Rumble was very upsetting. He was in the final two against Seth, um, against uh, Cody Rhodes, and Cody Rhodes ended up winning it. And that one... One thing I'll say is that this was a very predictable Royal Rumble. No really big returns. And that was kind of a dampener on all of it. Uh, I'll, I'll, re- I'll recover the whole card here in a second just to talk about it. But the other thing, interesting thing that Cody Rhodes said when he was interviewed was that he um, had thought about a couple of years ago about maybe trying to do a stint in the WWE, in the UFC, I mean, because WWE and UFC are under both under TKO management group. And he mentioned how his wife never said he could do it. And that kind of aroused some dis- uh, di- uh, discussion in my brain about who who could make the jump from WWE to UFC, because it's easy to go from UFC to WWE. WWE is all scripted. They're just stunt actors. It's easy to take a bump when you've been punched in the face your whole career. And look at what Brock Lesnar did. But Brock Lesnar is a freak accident, okay? That's not what's going to happen with everyone who goes from the UFC to the WWE. And Brock Lesnar went from the WWE to the UFC. That's what I meant to say. WWE to UFC. Um, CM Punk did it. Lost two fights, never really worked out. If Cody Rhodes were to do it, I just think you have to be in your 30s, all right? As youngest, 30s. If you're in your 20s, that could work out. I mean, Matt Riddle did it. Matt Riddle was able to um, fight in the UFC, but then he joined the WWE. So it's really a young man's sport. You can't be in your 40s, and that's what's up with Brock. Brock's almost 50. He's not coming back to the UFC. So it's fun to, it's fun to speculate, though, about, oh, what would happen if this guy joined but uh, let's talk about the Royal Rumble because that is what uh, that's what the main thing that happened was. Troy Dan was there. Troy Dan, one of my favorite YouTubers. I've been watching him since I was a little kid. It was super fun watching him uh, go there and take pictures and like just quote stuff as he's watching it. But Royal Rumble uh, kicked off with the Women's Royal Rumble and Bailey won it against Liv Morgan. And this was just there just wasn't that much excitement. There just wasn't that much excitement. I mean, it's tough to say. It kicked off with Natalia joining. She's been in every Royal Rumble. Good for her. Spent 20 minutes in it. Uh, I guess a big return was Naomi. Naomi returned. She's one of the bigger UFC stars, former WWE Women's Champion. Uh, she spent over an hour in the in the octagon or whatever. But man, it was fun seeing her in. Uh, Bailey. Bailey won it. She's a she's a notable wrestler in the women's world. Uh, spent an hour and three minutes in it. Had to have set a record doing that. Had seven eliminations. Other than that, I mean, no real big returns or anyone that I really know. Uh, but Bianca Belair, she's actually main evented like at WrestleMania night once. She's been in it for a while. But other than that, no real returns. Becky Lynch was in it for a bit. Shayna Baszler. There's a funny moment with R-Truth. R-Truth, a hilarious WWE wrestler, if anyone knows who he is. Um, actually came out, acted like he thought it was the men's Royal Rumble, got thrown out in like 13 seconds. It was pretty comical. He he always has hilarious skits, but he's on the WWE. Um, who else Who else did they have? I mean, they had, uh, who was it? Machine? Is it Machine? Jade. Jade Cargyle. I don't know who she is, but they gave her the, kind of a big spot. Um, don't really know what's going to come of that, but she made it down to the final few. And number 30 was Liv Morgan. Who, you know, I guess I guess she's a popular wrestler, but she really didn't get any reaction from me. You know, I, I, I just didn't really care. There was no care for anything. And after it was over, I was like, I'm ready to see what else the night brings. And unfortunately, it did not bring much more. Following that, um, 
We had the Fatal 4-Way for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, the big belt, and your current champion, uh, Roman Reigns, the man, if you will. And that's actually Becky Lynch's name, nickname, but Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, as they call him. He's the big guy in WWE. He's held the title since 2021, I believe. I think it's 2021 he's held the belt since. It's been an incredible run, but the issue is, first off, he was facing AJ Styles, LA Knight, and Randy Orton, who are all over. They all got big pops. There's big moments. But the thing that the WWE keeps booking, I say booking because obviously it's all scripted, and I know that. Um, but they keep booking that his uh, one of his cronies, if you will, the Usos, who are actually, I think, his enemies now, but Solo Sakai, one of his uh, cronies, if you will, he's related to him through the bloodline. That's their, fract- their faction. Um, he keeps interfering, and Randy Orton was going to win at one point. Hit Roman Reigns with the RKO. Everyone knows that move. And Solo Sakai just pulled him out of the uh, ring. And that was that. And Roman Reigns hit a spear on someone. And that was that. And everyone has just killed the vibe. It sucked all the energy out of the arena. Because everyone was like, this did not just happen. Again, It's they're doing the same thing every time. Um, so Roman Reigns will probably be losing his belt at WrestleMania. Actually, there was rumors The Rock was going to appear. He never did, but I think I know why. And that's because there's currently a sexual assault uh, allegation going around. A full lawsuit is filed against Vince McMahon, and he actually resigned as the uh, like chairman of WWE. Uh, apparently, he um, did some really weird stuff. He would kind of uh, like the pimp girls out, if you will, like tell them to do sexual stuff, have them record videos of them and send them around. Apparently John Laurinaitis, a UFC staple, former wrestler, works on the board, and Brock Lesnar, that's right, Brock Lesnar were both involved in it. So I'm sure The Rock is going to stay away from the UFC. So I don't know what the plan for WrestleMania is for the uh, WWE. After that, there are only four matches on this card, a rare occurrence. You never see that. Uh, After that, Logan Paul defeated Kevin Owens by disqualification for the... United States Championship, and the, the fans were not feeling this. And when the fans aren't feeling a matchup, no one, you can't even feel it at home. Even the fake crowd noise that the uh, WWE puts in, it just wasn't saving this. No one, no one was excited. They all wanted the Royal Rumble, and no one cared about Logan Paul and Kevin Owens. After that, the Royal Rumble began, and it started off promising. It honestly started off promising. You had Jay Uso and Jimmy Uso both kicking it off. Uh, Jay Uso actually lasted 50 minutes in the Rumble, uh, but unfortunately, you know, after that, you know, there was well, there wasn't really too many big returns. I mean, you had Andrade returning. Andrade, he actually fought in AEW for a while. Um, he lasted just under 23 minutes, so it didn't even really serve too much of a purpose. Actually, if you want to watch good wrestling matches, go back to 2018 NXT and watch Andrade versus Johnny Gungarno. Those are some of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen. After that, I mean, just just no one exciting. So many filler people. I mean, you got Carmelo Hayes, big NXT guy. Just no one was really feeling him. Shinsuke Nakamura, who has fallen off. Santos Escobar is a jobber. Karrion Cross is a jobber. Dominic Mysterio, yeah, he's entertaining, but no, no one really cares. Carlito, Carlito got a good pop, but nothing much there. I mean, number 15, Cody Rhodes, that was the number he came in. He ended up winning the Rumble, which kind of made sense, but... I mean, it was he didn't really do much, nothing spectacular. Number seventeen, Kofi Kingston, who's known for doing amazing things in the U, in the WWE, uh, such as like jumping on the announce table, using a chair to stay alive, uh, being caught by someone on the outside, didn't do anything in this rumble. Just casually came in, casually went out, just nothing entertaining. Uh, almost returned, who's like this giant seven foot guy. I mean, he's fought in Braun Strowman, Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. 
Um, nothing. Didn't really do much. Not really huge big pop. And then Pat McAfee came in for all but 38 seconds and uh, eliminated himself. It was so dumb. People were thinking that he was came in the spot that Brock Lesnar was supposed to because I think they pulled Brock Lesnar from the match. I don't know nothing too uh, nothing too much. But our truth had the best moment of the Royal Rumble when he uh, acted like it was a tag team match with Dominic Mysterio. It was pretty funny. It was the best moment. After that, nothing happened. I mean, it was cool seeing the Miz come out. Surprised he's still wrestling. Uh, CM Punk got the biggest pop. Everyone was rooting for him to win, and ended up losing as um as the final two, and then. Ricochet coming out 28, Drew McIntyre 29, and Sami Zayn 30 was just so boring. It was so boring. I mean, everyone was kind of just like, no big name, no big name. You've got to be kidding me. And just, it sucked the whole life out of the arena. The Royal Rumble, you let me down. WWE, I will watch you again at WrestleMania, but honestly, I'm going to need... I'm going to need something better next time. I'm going to need something better. I can't stand all this boring, boring booking. Get some big returns. Get some big moments. This Royal Rumble was yet another letdown. Alrighty. Moving on from WWE back to UFC, its partner company. I I thought this fun little segment. I thought this fun little segment. I was driving my car. I'm like, hmm, what can I talk about? What can I talk about on the podcast? There's got to be something interesting. What's a segment? Then I was thinking about how Sean O'Malley was saying how he could beat Ia to win the featherweight belt. He's talking about becoming a double champ. We just watched Volkanovski try and become a double champ once. Leon Edwards wants to move up and fight Driscus Duplessis. Alex Pesjero wants to go up to men's uh, heavyweight. I mean, Islam wants to fight Leon. And I figured, why not go through all 11 UFC champions and kind of put them on like a um, a scale, if you will, or just give them a chance. I'm not going to rank them. I'm just going to give them like a 1 to 10 odds of becoming a double champion in the UFC. So strap in because I have some opinions on all of these fighters because some have challenged for belts, double championship stasses before, some have not. Let's uh, let's kind of see how they would fare moving up in weight. So kicking us off, we're going to start with our lowest weight class and work our way all the way up to the top. Uh, so Zhang Lee, your current woman's strawweight champion at 115 pounds. I mean, huge fight coming up at UFC 300 with Yan Chao, and we're going to mention that for a while. She's got rising contenders. I mean, Tatiana Suarez, maybe Marina Rodriguez, Lupi Godinez, a lot of options for her. But her versus current woman's flyweight champion, Alexa Grasso, is a real possibility. I'm dead serious about it, and she's called for it before. Alexa Grasso said she would be down. It is super, super interesting seeing the chance of her moving up and she's been so dominant I mean has destroyed Carla Esparza and Amanda Limos in back-to-back fights her second fight was Rose Nama Yunez was amazing she's knocked out Joanna John Jacek after previously having one of the greatest women actually probably the greatest women's title fight or just fight in general of all time at UFC 248 which we'll actually talk about later on I would also give her you know, Grasso is good, but I also give Zhang Weili one of the better chances. I'd say she gets an 8 out of 10 on her chances, an 80% chance of becoming double champion if she were to move up against Alexa Grasso. I would definitely pick her. She definitely has the skill set. I mean, she has this explosive power, and the grappling has come out in the last few fights. It has proven how good she can be. As for Alexa Grasso, you know, dominant wins over Valentina Shevchenko, but there's just something when you fight someone back-to-back and then you get thrown at with another contender, it can kind of throw you off your game. But I, I like Zhang Weili's chances of uh, becoming double champion. 
We'll go on to men's flyweight as we have Alexander Pantoja won the belt from Brandon Moreno last year, defended it against Brandon Rival, and as previously mentioned, that he would beat up Sean O'Malley. I don't really know, though. I don't really know, though, because see, Pantoja, you can easily compare to Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling, amazing grappling, um, amazing, uh, pretty decent striking. You know, I'd say Pantoja's striking is better than Aljamain Sterling's, but it's not better than Sean O'Malley. And honestly, there's just, there's no real appeal for moving up from flyweight to bantamweight to fight for the double, double belt chance. So I'd say for Alexander Pantoa, I'd give him probably about a 25% chance, 2.5 out of 10. I do not really see him being Sean O'Malley. And let's say Sean loses to Marlon Vera. I don't, I see him getting knocked out by Marlon Vera. Let's say Marab becomes champion. Marab's going to outgrapple Alexander Pantoa. Pantoa will forever be a bantamweight fighter. And honestly, when we look at the men's flyweight division, there really isn't anyone. Henry Cejudo is one of the rarest cases of someone who moved up from flyweight to bantamweight at the perfect time. The, ne- the next closest person I could maybe see is Mohamed Mokayev, and that's if he puts on some size and continues to approve. He's currently undefeated, currently the youngest flyweight on the roster. Um, so yeah, but as for Pantoa, I don't give him too many, uh, too good of odds moving up to face Sean O'Malley. Moving to women's flyweight, Alexa Grasso. Um, I mean, we, we could say she could move down to fight John Whaley. It's the exact opposite. So if John Whaley had an 80% chance, she's got a 20% chance moving down and wait to fight Yang Whaley. But the real, real interesting part for Alexa Grasso would be if she moved up in weight, up from 125 to 135 to take on the women's bantamweight champion, who right now is Hockwell Pennington. I'll be honest. Hockwell Penton did not look that impressive in her win over Myra Bueno Silva. If anything, it was Myra Bueno Silva looking unimpressive. I mean, Hockwell clearly lost round one, and then Myra just gassed out. But Hockwell couldn't finish her. Compared to Bilal Muhammad, no excitement. Hockwell Penton, I, I could see Alexa Grasso being Hockwell Penton. I could see Alexa Grasso beating Myra Bueno Silva. I do think we get into some gray waters with Julia Pena, Ketlin Vieira, Ariel Donna because of size. But if we're talking about the current champion, Hawkwell Penton, I'm giving Alexa Grasso a 70% chance. I mean, just look. I like, you can do a chain reaction. Look how she handled Alexa Grasso. How she handled Valentina Shevchenko. Alexa Grasso did. Look how Amanda Nunes handled Valentina Shevchenko. Then look at how Amanda Nunes handled Hawkwell Penton. A little chain reaction of you can just see how certain people match up. I'm giving... Um, I'm giving Alexa Grasso a 75% chance, the opposite of Pantoja over um, O'Malley. I'm giving him, uh, I'm giving her 75% chance to become double champion. But I don't see it. I see her more being someone to defend against John Whaley than move up and wait. But as for Alexa Grasso, I mean, she's got killers: Aaron Blanchfield, Man Fiorat, another fight with Valentina Shevchenko, Macy Barber if she can get a win. You've got Natalie Silva, Kareen Silva. There's a lot of killers at women's flyweight. But I like Alexa Grasso's odds if she moves up in weight. We'll do a women's bantamweight right now before we get to men's bantamweight. Hockwell Pennington, look, all she could do is move down in weight, unless they bring back women's featherweight division, which I don't see them doing. And Hockwell Pennington's weight cut would never go good, okay? And for a lot of these women's bantamweights, they could only move up in weight to a made-up weight class of women's featherweight which could actually come back if Kayla Harrison beats Holly Holmes. We'll see how that weight cut goes for Kayla Harrison, who actually fought at 155 in the PFL. That's right. She fought at lightweight, which that's a 20-pound difference from the UFC's main division. We'll see what happens with that Kayla Harrison-Holly Holmes fight. But as for Hawkwell Penton going down in weight, it won't happen. She would drain herself. So I give her a 
5% chance. Like, it's never zero. It's never zero in a fight. The worst you can get down to is 0.0001% or something, but Hako Penton has no chance. All right. And honestly, looking through the division, I only see a woman becoming a double champion at women's bantamweight if they can move up, which there isn't a division. So, sorry, Hako Penton. You'll probably be the lowest of everyone. Men's bantamweight, Sean O'Malley, your current bantamweight champion. You know, he was confident that he could be Ito Pura if he became champion. But I'm going to be honest, Sean. I just think 135 is your weight class. As much as you drain yourself to get to 135, I think if he could drain himself to 125, that would be an easier task, which is very unrealistic. You know, he does kill himself at times to get to 135. But Sugar runs Bantamway at the moment. We'll see how he does against Marlon Vera. He's got Marab or Cejudo coming up. He's got Corey Sanhagen. He's got a lot of competitors coming up. But I, I kind of like Sean's odds against his own weight class. As for moving up featherweight, you just have to look. You just have to look at some of the some of the matchups here, okay? Let's say, do you, do we think Sean O'Malley beats Josh Emmett? I don't think he beats Josh Emmett, okay? I think after seeing what Josh Emmett did to Bryce Mitchell, I don't think Sean O'Malley beats Josh Emmett, okay? And Josh Emmett's currently ranked 7 at men's featherweight. Now, if we revisit Ito Pierre's last fight against Josh Emmett and how badly he brutalized them, you can kind of tell how Ito Pierre would handle Sean O'Malley. And then if we look at Yair Rodriguez, who submitted Josh Emmett in round number two, do we think he beats Yair Rodriguez? Probably not. And then look at what Alexander Volkanovsky did to Yair Rodriguez. So he's not beating any of these guys. I just, Sean, Sean O'Malley, I, he's very good, but he needs to stay at bantamweight. He needs to build him up to a point where it's like, okay, he's no other option but to move up in weight. But if he's fighting Yotopira or Volkanovsky, I'm giving him a 15% chance. I, I don't really like his odds. But if you were to move down to flyweight, oh, 99% chance. If Shadamai would do, clean out men's flyweight, it's just the task of getting there, which we saw with TJ Dillashaw is absolutely draining. So Sean, moving up, not a good idea. Moving down, an amazing idea. But you know what? The human body can only take so much weight cutting. Men's featherweight up next, Alexander Volkanovsky. The question's actually answered here. As much as I said there's never a 0% chance or 100% chance, there actually is a 0% chance of Volkanovsky becoming double champion. I mean, we saw it. Islam beat him twice. Okay, well, we'll throw out a 1% for him. We'll throw out a 1% chance for Volkanovsky. Let's say he beats freaking, oh gosh, he beats Ia somehow. He then beats Mozvar Evlov. He then beats... Gosh, I don't even know. Um, who else is on the come up here? Uh, he beats Leroy Murphy. I don't know. Look, Volk, you know what? You had two shots. You've passed 35. I unfortunately think it's 0% chance for Volk. He had two opportunities. You know, first was good. Second was rough. But uh, we'll see how he fares. Because, I mean, he's not beating Islam. And if we're like, and if no one else is beating Islam, he's never going to get a third attempt. So the only way Volkanovski could become a double champion I mean, first off, never making it to 135, never making it, is if he defends his belt, you know, against every contender that comes at him, and Islam loses to, gosh, let's say, I have no idea, Max Holloway? Actually, yeah, Max Holloway beats Justin Gaethje for the BMF belt, becomes ranked top two at men's lightweight, then beats Islam, you could do Holloway versus Volkanovski again, but... It's probably not going to happen. I'm sorry, Volk. Your time has come to an end. Now, as for Iotopira, if he does win the belt at UFC 298, I favor Iotopira over a lot of these guys. I'm a huge believer in Iotopira. I think he has amazing abilities. He is someone where 
You know, I think a couple lightweights would give him some trouble. You know, I favor him against the Dan Hookers. I favor him against the Benil Dariushes, even the Matus Gamrots. But when we start to get into the Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Islam territory does get a bit shady. We'll have to revisit this later in the year. But as for our current champion, Volkanovski, it's a 1% chance. I, mean, I can't say zero, but, you know, it's basically zero. Men's lightweight, our next division. And Islam Makachev is very realistic at moving up. I mean... Is there still a chance we get Islam versus Leon in a double champ status at UFC 300? I for completely forgot about that, that Islam was calling for that title fight. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I mean, we'll, we'll see what occurs. Um, Islam, I mean, cleaned out Volkanovski. He's beating Charles Oliveira. As of right now, he's probably going to fight the winner of Charles Oliveira and Armin Tezukrian. And then after that, could be the winner of uh, Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway. I mean, let's say the winner of Dustin Poirier and Benoit Saint-Denis at UFC 299, the winner of that. There's going to be a lot of competitors coming up for Islam. But how would he fare against Leon Edwards? I think he'd have pretty good odds. I think he'd have pretty good odds against Leon. I do think it'd be a split fight. I think Leon has amazing anti-grappling. He's amazing kickboxing, but Islam's striking has looked superior in um, two of his last three fights. Um, and I point that out specifically against Charles Oliveira and the second fight against Volkanovski. The first one, it was definitely very even in striking, maybe even leaning towards Volk. But Islam has very good striking, very underrated. Um, I would personally, let's say he moves up in weight, I would give him a 55% chance. I think it's just above 50% that he could beat Leon Edwards. It's just, I know how good Leon is. And seeing how Leon has stunted Usman, he's stunted Colby Covington, you kind of have to look at how Islam would fare against those two to kind of compare it. But I give Islam the 55 to even 60% chance of if he were to move up of becoming double champion. Islam, I think, is one of the more realistic guys that if he were to move up in weight, because he, he's a weight bully but we all know he's you all know he's a weight bully he is he's walking around 170 180 and he's cutting down to 155 and taking all that strength with him. i mean not not to be kind of sus but i mean if you look at islam makachev's back that's one of the best back the most muscular backs i've ever seen like i think he has a six-pack on his back it is is absolutely immaculate islam makachev you're always fun to watch 170 welterweight Leon Edwards. He mentioned he'd want to fight Sean Strickland, Driscus Duplessis. And honestly, looking at guys like Sean Strickland, Driscus Duplessis, um, I can Robert Whitaker even, I could see Leon Edwards moving up to fight these guys. It just it seems kind of unrealistic him fighting someone like Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier, um, maybe even someone like who who's someone far down that could become champion one day. Someone like a Kyle Barallo, ranked number fifteen. There's just certain guys that don't really match up, but there are certain matchups for Leon that could work. If we are doing it off of right now. Middleweight, Driscus Duplessis. I I don't think he beats Duplessis. I don't think he beats Driscus Duplessis. But if Hamza Chimaev becomes champion, I like the odds of Leon Edwards versus Hamza Chimaev. Could you just have to look at how did Hamza do against Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns? There were both certain things Hamza was dealing with in those fights. I, I would kind of like those odds, but look at what Duplessis did to Sean Strickland. I think there is a certain size factor in favor of Duplessis. He's also fights a style that, honestly, Leon hasn't dealt with his last um, two fights. I mean, Usman and Covington were not on the attack the majority of the time. Uh, the first fight, Usman was on the attack majority of the time, but not the last time out. Leon probably struggled. I'd give Leon about a 30% chance against Driscus Duplessis. 
Um, and as for moving down in weight, I do not see Leon making 155. And if he did, Islam would just tear him apart because of the weight cut. Unfortunately for Leon, you know, you've got a long resume to build, but Leon could easily become one of the world's weight greats. Just got to keep racking up them wins. I think a finish is coming. I think a finish is coming, guys. Um, I say that because I look, I look at Kamru Usman's run at welterweight. You can even point out GSP. They had some boring fights, but you really have so many boring fights in a row. Look at Adesanya, all right? He's had doozies against Romero, follows that up with a banger against Paulo Costa. A doozy against Jared Cannonier follows up with a banger against Alex Pejero, okay? It's kind of some of these champions, you know? Some of their fights are amazing. Some of them aren't so amazing. I think that's going to be Leon. I think the next time we see Leon, if it's against Shavkat, it's going to be wild. If it's against Bilal... If he brings the pressure, he could knock out Bilal. Moving to middleweight, your new champion, Drickus Duplessis. I mean, he's not going to welterweight. Well, maybe else. Drickus Duplessis will not make welterweight. That will never happen. He'd be the guy to move from 185 to 205, which we, we honestly haven't seen. You have never seen that before, um, right? If I'm thinking correctly, we've seen light heavyweight to heavyweight. We've seen a bantamweight to featherweight, in the women's division at least. We've seen a flyweight to weight. We've seen that. And we've seen a featherweight to lightweight. We've seen all those. Um, that's from middleweight to light heavyweight. That can be very risky. Just as you perceive versus Alex Pereira. I actually kind of like that fight. I, I honestly think that people would sleep on Duplessis, and that's because Alex Pereira, you know, doesn't have the best takedown defense. And Duplessis is someone who's good at takedowns. Uh, the only reason Alex Pereira looked good against Jiri is because Jiri is not very technical in his takedowns. Was leaving his face out there. Now, I will say Duplessis' one drawback is that getting clipped by someone like Alex Pereira, Jamal Hill, Jan Blachowicz, even Jiri Pachowska, that'll put you out. But Driscus and Pereira, you know, I may favor Pereira in that fight, but I'm giving Duplessis a 49% chance, a 4.9 out of 10. I think it's just below 50% against someone like Alex Pereira. But if it's the right opponent, someone like Mogben on Kaliaf, I feel it'd be a very even fight. Both guys can strike, both guys can grapple. Um, that's for Alex Pereira. You know, it's tough to say with Alex. It's tough to see what Alex will show up. Where You can sometimes get the guy who's knocking out Sean Strickland, knocking out Jerry, and then you get the guy who's going to a decision against Bruno Silva, who's getting knocked out by Adesanya. So, hit or miss with Poetan. He's up next, though, our current light heavyweight champion, Alex Pereira. And as hit or miss as he is, you know, going back down to middleweight, super realistic. I mean, Alex Pereira could come to the first three-division champion. He, he is that good at cutting weight, making moving up in weight. Um, I'd favor you. If I'm favoring Duplessis, um, 49%, then Pereira gets a 51%, moving down to middleweight, okay? He's that good. He, he'd offer some challenges. But if Adesanya... Becomes the next middleweight champion against Tristus Duplessis. If that fight happens at UFC 300, you can bet Pereira's going down to get a double champ stat. So Pereira could also be the next guy looking at it. He could be the next guy to move down. As for moving up, um, I, the, the sky's are the limit for Alex Pereira. I mean, looking at what Tom Aspinall did, all right, I think Pereira could do it. Now, I do think Pereira, we've seen him get knocked out by Izzy. Okay, we've seen him get knocked out by Izzy. So we know his chin can crack. And Sergey Pavlovich is going to hit hard. Tom Aspinall's going to hit hard. Joe Gans going to hit hard. Curtis Blades is going to grapple him onto oblivion. But it's not terrible odds. But as we look at our current champion, John Jones, no one's beaten John Jones. I mean, even Tom Aspinall would struggle. He has 20% chance. Alex Pereira has a 20% chance against John Jones. But when it gets to Tom Aspinall, Cyril Gans, Sergey Pavlovich, it moves up to 50%. To me, it's 50-50 with that. So, Pereira, I can easily see him becoming a three-division champion. But honestly, heavyweight might offer some more challenges than middleweight would for him. And as we move to heavyweight, 
John Jones, we're not even going to talk about him because John Jones has been the light heavyweight. He's done that. We're hopefully going to get one more fight out of John Jones. The main thing for John Jones would be who follows him. Who follows him? And as for Tom Aspinall, Cyril Gaon, Sergey Pavlovich, Stipe, and you know, Stipe's on his way out. But the top three guys, they're very, they're very heavy, okay? And Tom Aspinall, I saw him pressing so much weight in the gym. He was pressing, I think, the 130s, the 140s in each arm. Absolutely incredible. Um, dude is so strong. Cyril Gaon. As a lean as a heavyweight as he can look, as how quick he can move, he's not making it to 205. <laughs> 206 even. 206 is what you would need to make it to for light heavyweight. I don't see that happening. Sergey Pavlovich is a hefty boy. There's only one name that strikes out to me, and that is number seven ranked Halton Almeida, who actually started out his UFC career at light heavyweight, moved up to heavyweight just because he can. He's had amazing fights um, in the UFC, amazing performances, I should say, not fights. Pretty pretty, pretty, good, pretty big of a doozy against Derek Lewis in November, UFC Sao Paulo. But, uh, you know, Alton Almeida is probably the best bet. Big fight with Chris Blades coming up, looking to break into the top five. After that, could be a fight with Sergey Pavlovich, Sirogan, Tomas Mall. A lot of options for Alton Almeida. But if he becomes heavyweight champion, he has a very good chance of becoming light heavyweight champion. No one's ever moved down from heavyweight to light heavyweight, okay? There's only been four double champs in the UFC's history, I believe, and uh, it has never been a heavyweight to light heavyweight. We saw DC move up, but could someone move down? We will see. Very much uh, very much excited to see what the next double, t- double title fight will be. It's crazy. We got two in 2023, both with Volk and Islam. But it's always a blast seeing fights like that in the UFC. Very good times. Theorizing who could become double champion. It's also fun to theorize what would happen if you had power. But did you know that you can accumulate power? Especially if you read The 48 Laws of Power. I'm just kidding. It's, it's a good book. It's a good book. I very much enjoy it. I've read this book and I've read my friends in here. I've read people I know. I've read loved ones. You will find someone in this book. The 48 Laws of Power. It talks about people. It talks about how to uh, get power, stay with power, stuff like that. But as for me, I just enjoy reading it because it is a very, very good book. This is my little series we've been doing as I slowly read this. Like, freaking three pages a week, five pages, five chapters, not pages. But we always go through the laws that I've read. There are 48 laws. I uh, read 17 yesterday and 18 to 19, actually, just before the podcast. Probably read 20 there tonight. I kind of have it on my calendar to read three chapters each day trying to get through this book. I don't know what book to read next. I actually saw a TikTok page on uh, some guy who's like really big on books, like his whole page is just books to read. He reads like fantasy books and stuff like that. And he said to read a series if you like Game of Thrones called The Shadow of the Gods. It's a very good series, something you can make into a book. So I might check that out the library. But as for now, we're checking out law number 17, which is keep others in suspended terror, cultivate an air of unpredictability. And this whole law deals with kind of not being predictable, not being predictable. You need to keep people on the edge, kind of keep them in suspense. And the example it gave, it always does an observance of the law, is back in the 70s, there was a chess champion named Boris Baski, and he was fighting this guy named Bobby Fischer from Iceland. And basically, Bobby toyed with him. He would show up late to meet, he would cancel meets, he would complain. And this was all because uh, Spassky, the Russian, his main strategy was to kind of intimidate his opponents, kind of get to read them. You know, he's staring across from an opponent, because these chess players, they play a number of times over a long stage. They travel around, and basically, 
um, what's his face? Fisher, the Iceland guy, he got Spassky to break. All right, he completely ruined him. He actually purposely lost their first meeting and then forfeited the second and was down two games to zero and became the first person ever to come back from down 2-0, beat him an endless number of times, completely ruined Spassky's career. In fact, Spassky started accusing him of using hypnosis and stuff, and this was all from the law of being unpredictable because he had been pretty predictable for with his strategy and he kind of used it against him. Here's the image they want you to paint for this chapter. The cyclone, a wind that cannot be foreseen. Sudden shifts in the barometer, inexplicably changes in direction and velocity. There is no defense to a cyclone. A cyclone sows, a cyclone sows terror and confusion. Very interesting chapter, and honestly, you know, I'm not very predictable, I'd say, but I'm also not very unpredictable. I, I do act weird sometimes. Sometimes I like to do some fun things. But I'd say if I were to take this law to heart and use it for my own use, I'd say it kind of deals with not necessarily doing the same thing every day. Kind of spice it in. Throw in something spontaneous. You know, some laws you can use for good, some laws for bad. The best thing is to know about all of these laws. So law 17, pretty interesting. Law number 18 was another good one. It says, do not build fortresses to protect yourself. Isolation is dangerous. And it gave two crazy examples. The first was about Shi Hyung Ti, who um, was actually the king, the original king of like China. He was the original guy who started China. Um, and basically created so many enemies. Confucius, a notable writer of his time, big in China, he actually had all of his writings burned. It's crazy that they even still have historical texts of Confucius's writings today. And that created a lot of enemies for him. You know, he took over all of China. He basically united China under his rule. And he was so worried about anyone coming to kill him. I mean, if he found out anyone looked at him, that wasn't someone he wanted them to look at. He'd have them beheaded. He would have people freaking executed for even talking about like him. And eventually, he was actually escaping. He wasn't escaping. He was going to visit someone, but he was so worried. He disguised himself up so much, and while he was off on his own, he died. Died on his own around no loved ones, and they brought his body back, and just no one even cared. No one even cared because they were like, oh, we, we, we honestly forgot about him because he never does anything. Well, he gave another example of who was it? It was this painter. It was this painter... Um, who was basically, he, he, what is the example? It was, it was very interesting, but it was long. They use a lot of interesting words in this book, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Um, Louis the, what was it? Louis the 14th or something? He isolated himself. Um, I have no idea what law this one is. There, there's so many. I, I sometimes get the stories mixed up. But Louis won. That one was good. Well, what's the example? Give solitude. This is what Dr. Samuel Johnson said. Solitude is dangerous to reason without being favorable to virtue. Remember that the solitary mortal is certainly luxurious, probably superstitious, and possibly mad. I mean, you think about a lot of people have gone mad. They usually isolate the most, um, like dictators start to isolate themselves. I mean, Hitler, Stalin, um, Stalin actually fits into this weird category of someone who's very gullible, so it's very interesting how he took over so much. But um, a lot of these dictators, I mean, Putin, Putin's starting to get a bit superstitious of everyone. It's just certainly, certainly very interesting to just read all this and hear about today. Um, here's the image it paints for the isolation. The fortress. 
High up on the hill, the citadel becomes a symbol of all that is hateful in power and authority. The citizens of the Tau betray you to the first enemy that comes. Cut off from communication and intelligence, the citadel falls with ease. And I like to point out Game of Thrones to this, where Cersei starts to isolate herself from the city people, and they despise her. They hate her. When they finally get her out on the streets, they throw stuff at her. They berate her. And this is really easily applied to real life. If you spend too much time alone... People start to not like you, not care for you. So you you should never you should never really isolate yourself. Now sometimes it's good to pull away, just kind of assess the situation, but never to pull away when stuff starts to get bad. That is that's is not good isolation. How about that? Now I could just read these straight from the chapter, but that would take forever. So I kind of try and summarize them. So sometimes it may sound like I'm just rambling, but I'm actually trying to give information. You know, I try my best. I try my best here on the Surprise Jab Podcast, where we talk about surprise topics like this. And the final law we will share for this episode, law number 19, know who you're dealing with. Do not offend the wrong person. Here's the judgment thing from it. There are many different kinds of people in the world, and you can never assume that everyone will react to your strategies in the same way. Deceive or outmaneuver some people, and they will spend the rest of their lives seeking revenge. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Choose your victims and opponents carefully. Then never are then never offend or deceive the wrong person. Then never I don't know that was but never offend or deceive the wrong person. I've I've no idea why they threw a then in there. Sometimes I just scan over that while reading, and then I'm doing something like this, reading it, and I'm like, why is it why is it written like that? But yeah, this book gave great examples. There's a number of people, um, your opponents, your suckers, and your victims. Uh, this is actually a quote from a Chan, a Buddhist classic from a Cheon. When you meet a swordsman, draw your sword. Do not recite poetry to one who is not a poet. Very interesting. And I like to point this out when you're in uh, certain settings downtown. You know, if you see someone with a knife walking towards you, you pull out your gun or knife. All right, you don't ask questions. It could just be someone walking directly past you, but I'd rather be prepared than not prepared. That certainly goes the opposite way. Um, if someone's walking towards you with a book, you don't pull out your gun. Unless, who knows, maybe they have a book. But that's, that wasn't really the premise of the story. This talks about the type of people there are. There's the arrogant and proud man, um, which basically, let me just start off each thing well. Although he may initially disguise it, this man's touchy pride makes him very dangerous, and he perceives slight will lead to a vengeance of overwhelming violence. You say, to you, you say to yourself, but I only said such and such at a party where everyone was drunk. It does not matter. matter. There is no sanity behind his overreaction. The arrogant and proud man, I think we all know someone who is an arrogant and proud person. You say even the slightest thing to them, and they become aggravated. Whatever you are hoping for from them isn't worth it. They'll react the same way. You know, there's someone, this, I mean, this is the type of person they are. This is where they hit you with the... Oh, you are, you're so fat, man. You're just, you're so ugly. And you say something like, your shoes look bad. And they will take it personally. They will attack you. And I think we've all been the arrogant and proud man. But there's some people who are always the arrogant and proud man. The other type of person is the hopelessly insecure man. This man is related to the proud and arrogant type, but is less violent and harder to spot. His ego is fragile. His sense of self is insecure. And if he feels himself deceived or attacked... The hunt will simmer. He will. The hurt will simmer. Actually, he will. He will kind of dim back. He will attack you in bites that will take forever to get big enough for you to notice. If you find you have deceived or harmed such a man, disappear for a long time. Do not stay around, or he will nibble you to death. We all know someone. You make fun of them. They kind of shut down, and then randomly they'll hit you back with another comment or something. 
and even the little bites. I mean, you think about it. Um, you leave your foot in the water and little fish come up and bite it. It's nothing. But let's say you leave their foot in there for hours and hours. You'll start to see some skin coming away. I don't actually know if that was a good um, analogy. I, sometimes I try and make my own analogies and they probably sound kind of goofy. The fourth type of man of five, I think it is, is the Mr. Suspicion. Uh-huh, another variant on the breeds above. This is a future Joe Stalin. That's I See, I mentioned I knew Joseph Stalin's coming up. He sees what he wants to see, usually the worst in people, and imagines that everyone is after him. Mr. Suspicion is, in fact, the least dangerous of the three. Genuinely unbalanced, he is easy to deceive, just as Stalin himself was constantly deceived. Play on his suspicious nature to get him to turn against other people, but if you do become the target of his suspicions, watch out. There are some people who truly believe everyone is out to get them and only see the world through one view. I'm sure we know someone who is not open to others' opinions, who may even think people are out to get them. This is a lot of people who go into isolation, okay? Going back to our don't, don't isolate yourself. A lot of suspicious people go into isolation, and a lot of these government people are like, the government's out to get me, which maybe they are. What, what do I know? That certainly can lead you down a very dangerous slope. Fourth person is the serpent with a long memory. This one is dangerous. If hurt or deceived, this man will show no anger on the surface. He will calculate and wait. Then when he is in a position to turn the tables, he will exact a revenge marked by a cold-blooded shrewdness. Recognize this man by his calculation and cunning in the different areas of life. He is usually cold and unaffectionate. This basically says someone who you wound them once and they will never forget and they can come back to get you. They will leave you be until they cross your path and then they'll get you. And this isn't necessarily in a killing you sense. This can even be... Uh, we'll use the bully example. You bully someone in elementary school. You don't see them through uh, high school. You don't see them in college. You run into them when you're trying to uh, get a deal for your company, and you find out that person is the CEO of the company, and that old serpent with a long memory will not forget what you did to him, and he won't do business with you. That was a good. That was a good analogy. I feel. And the last one, the plain, unassuming, and often unintelligent man. <laughs> and your ears prick up when you find such a tempting victim, it says. But this man is a lot harder to deceive than you imagine. Falling for a ruse often takes intelligence and imagination, a sense of the possible rewards for the person. The blunt man will not take the bait because he doesn't recognize it. He is that unaware. The danger will be that this man is not that he will harm you or seek revenge, but merely that he will waste your time, energy, resources, and even your sanity in trying to deceive him. I mean, we've sure all met people who we try and deal with. We try and help them or something, do business with them, uh, even just for a favor. And they are just, they're dumb. They're just dumbfounded. They just don't care. They don't even know what you're talking about. Or even you could be like, hey, can you help me move this? And they'll be like, well, what's in it for me? And, you know, you're like, I don't know. I just need help. And they just won't do it. And that's just waste your time, waste your energy. I, I, like my, I like my serpent with a long memory analogy better. Some of the examples they gave um, for the arrogant and proud man, it talked about um, the, was it the Shah of Khawarizm back in the uh, early 13th century. His, he was a Muhammad. And uh, Genghis Khan, we all know Genghis Khan, notable warlord back in that age, uh, basically basically his, uh, his whole descendants live all throughout Asia to this day. And he wanted to reopen the Silk Road, and he kept sending like gift offerings to this Shah. And the Shah actually beheaded some of his men 
uh, one time. He, he tried like three attempts. The first one, they just shoved him off as some irrelevant guy at the time. The next one, a rival nation uh, did something, like killed his troops or something that he sent over. So Genghis was like, hey, let's uh, let's take on this nation. And the Shah was like, no. And finally, after the Shah sent some of his uh, best men's heads back to uh, Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan said, fine, let it be war. And he led a lesser force, a lesser force against the Shah, completely took him took over his area, took over all his land, and the finale for the Shah was that he had molten silver poured into his eyes and ears via Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan was an arrogant and proud man. It would not be crossed. The number two man is the hopelessly, is that the hopelessly insecure man? Is that what it was? Or was it actually, I don't know, there, there's so many. I'm trying to find the examples. Um... Yes, this is the uh, hopelessly insecure man, but um, this this one dealt with uh, this man who was what was it? What was he in the 1910s? The best swindlers in America formed a con artist ring based in Denver, Colorado, led by this guy named Joe Fury, and they would use cons to take money from people. And he robbed this guy named J. Frank Norfleet, a cattleman who owned a large ranch in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, and he conned him out of $45,000. And unlike most men who got conned, uh, they would usually just leave it be, you know, they don't want people to know they're a sucker. But Norfleet spent the rest of his life tracking him down due to the insecurity of uh, being swindled. And actually, his marriage fell apart. His, he had lost his mortgage. He became dirt poor. Um, but he spent, he spent all his resources taking down this entire swindling ring across the country. And this was all because of how fragile his ego was for taking a offense. Now being swindled, it's bad, but to spend the rest of your life resources. I mean, he, he spent the rest of his time on the planet hunting down these men. That is someone with a weak, or what, what was it? A insecure man. Do we all know some insecure men out there? Mr. Suspicion. Um, was this, um, oh, here's what it was. Uh, it was about this Chinese guy, Chung Er. He was the prince of China back in the 5th century, and he accidentally came across this, uh, other up-and-coming prince of this other land whose name was Shu Chan, and actually, you know, kind of shoved him, shunned him off as a nobody, um, when he came to ask him for help or something. And he basically said, like, you're a nobody or something like that. I don't even know what it was. But um, later on, turned out he became one of the next emperors of China. And while, uh, what's his face? Whoever the original Chinese king was came to him, asked him for help. He was the old serpent, and he remembered what he did, and he sent him to exile. So kind of stuff like that. And then the last one, um, talking about the uh, plain, unsuspecting, and often unintelligent man, so I actually talked about Joseph Duvon, who was a notable art dealer. He dealt art to the richest tycoons of America and sort of his art guild, if you will, with all the other big art dealers of the time. They uh, had run out of people to buy to. There was like no billionaires or millionaires at the time they hadn't sold to. So they went to Henry Ford. They went up to his home in Michigan to sell to him, and they made a picture book of all the art. They made this compilation of 100, the 100 greatest pieces of art in the world that they all owned, and they were willing to sell it to him. And they actually met um, Henry Ford in his library, in his study. And Henry Ford said, why would I need to buy all this art when I have a picture book full of all of the art here? He was a kind of uh, unsuspecting man. You know, they didn't realize that he wasn't really someone who cared for art. He kind of wasted their time. They spent so much time getting to him, plotting this all out. But he was just a plain man. He was unintelligent in art and didn't care. And he had no use for it. So, 
Here's the image for that. The hunter, he does not lay the same trap for a wolf as for a fox. He does not set bait where no one will take it. He knows his prey thoroughly, its habits and hideaways, and hunts accordingly. So you have to know what kind of people you're dealing with. Those are kind of been the theme of this chapter, kind of tied in with the other chapters. And I find that all very fascinating. As you, kind of, you have to know who you're dealing with. And I think this one, the very good uses for this book. This is a book that I feel I will always keep with me to revisit. Because like I said, there almost everyone I know has been in this book in some regard. Some maybe in that chapter, some maybe in previous chapters. But everyone should know the 48 Laws of Power. I feel like I could be good at reading audiobooks. I need to maybe work on my slowness, perhaps, or maybe even my speed of talking about stuff. But who knows? I very much enjoy reading this book. Moving on to our, what, what is it, our fifth of six segments for this episode. This is a fun one. We are going to be revisiting 2020, um, what is it, 2023 in the, uh, U, not 2023, 2020 in UFC. You know, I have I opened too many, uh, what is it, slides, or was it, do they call it slides, tabs, tabs, that's the word, tabs on my computer to uh, find information for uh, the podcast and I try not to. I try to keep them in order, but sometimes I get them out of order, and I literally just clicked on my 2023 rankings, and it was right there. So we'll be re- revisiting my time in 2020 in the UFC. Actually, my experience watching the UFC in 2020, everything that went down that year, big moments on our series of recapping my experience watching UFC. We talked about my time in 2019. Now let's talk about my experience in the UFC in 2020. Not as a fighter. I wish as a fighter. I wish I was that skilled, but just as a new viewer who turned into a lifelong fan. Uh, 2020 in UFC, my first full year ever watching UFC. And it was, it was a it was a pretty good year in 2020. They've gotten progressively better, but this was a this was the year we dealt with the COVID, of course, canceling everything. Uh, there were a total of 41 events during the year. There were only 11 pay-per-views. I'm trying one month. They must have. I don't think they had a pay-per-view in April. That was a missed month. They went to uh, 10 different locations, four countries, nine cities. Their highest attendance was 19,040 people, and there was actually. Um, five canceled bouts, entire bouts. Uh, the fastest knockout was Hansa Chimaev with 17 seconds. The fastest submission, Brian Kelher, in 39 seconds. Um, any other fun statistics? 123 fighters debuted this year, 85 retired. There were a total of 576 fighters that fought in the UFC. Uh, notable releases and retirements. Anderson Silva was actually released in November. Anthony Pettis actually chose to sign with uh, the PFL towards the end of this year. Uh, Bigfoot Nogueira, or was it actually, it might have been, uh, yeah, I think it was Big or Anthony, Rogero Nogueira, whatever, he retired in July from the UFC. Uh, Bevan Lewis was released. Brad Katona was released. He actually came back this year, pretty crazy, or last year. Corey Anderson signed with Bellator after he knocked out earlier part of the year. Fabrizio Verdum chose not to resign in July. Henry Cejudo retired in May this year. That was pretty crazy. We'll talk about that. Habib Nurmagomedov retired in 2020. Still yet to come back. How sad. Uh, a lot of other. Paige Van Zant uh, signing with Bare Knuckle Fighting in August. That was pretty interesting. And the st- still in UFC. I have no idea if she's in the game. And Joel Romero. Joel Romero was released in December. Forgot about that. Some notable debut fighters in 2020, Adrian Yanez, notable uh, unranked men's bantamweight. Alexander Romoff, currently ranked in the top 15 of uh, men's heavyweight. Amir Albazi debuted this year. He uh, is in the top five at men's flyweight. That's pretty crazy. Brandon Royval fought for the belt past past year. That's pretty crazy. He debuted. Chris Dawkins, he got a couple main events in the UFC before being released. 
David Dork, top 10 men's flyweight. Driscus Duplessis, he debuted in 2020. How about that? Three, four years to the belt. Incredible. Uh, Ito Pura debuted. Oh my gosh, and he's fighting for the belt. How about that? Jamal Hill won the belt in 2023. He debuted in 2020. Drury Pochaska debuted. Joaquin Buckley, the greatest knockout in UFC. One of one of the greatest in UFC history this year. Hamza Chamayev debuted in 2020. Nazi Nimovov, your next uh, pay-per-view, or not pay-per-view, but next uh, fight night main eventer. He debuted that year. Matus Gamrot, top 10. Uh, top, he's ranked number 6. Men's lightweight, he debuted. Uh, Norma Dumont, who's actually fighting a top 5 women's bantamweight. She, uh, she debuted this year. Rodrigo Nascimento in the bottom 15 heavyweight. Roman Dolodize debuted this year. He'll be uh, fighting Nazarene Imovov coming up. Shavkat Rachmanov debuted this year. Shavkat debuted at UFC 254. How about that? Same card as Khabib. Tom Aspinall debuted. And yeah, those are all the big ones. A lot of, a lot of fun ones. Suspended fighters. TJ Dillashaw was suspended the whole year due to his testing of EPO. He tests for an EPO. Pretty interesting. Roman Dolodize was actually suspended until March. How about that? For... Um, um, a clomipine hormone. Wow, the some of these suspensions for drugs just absolutely blow me. Sean O'Malley was actually suspended six months, returned in 2020, back to his prowess. Uh, Calvin Gaslam was suspended for nine months. So that's wow. A lot of suspensions. No one really cares about the suspensions unless there's any big ones. A lot of title fights. A lot of belts changed hands. Let's revisit the year of 2020. It kicked off with, oh my gosh, this was a legendary event in the life of Zachary Ruger. UFC 246, Conor McGregor versus Donald Cowboy Sirota. I've experienced three um, Conor McGregor fights live while I was actually like watching it, and this was absolutely insane. I watched this at Buffalo Wild Wings. We showed up um, probably around like, I'd say like 7.30. Showed up like an hour and a half before the main card even started, and we were in line um, until I think the second fight on the main card finally got it. Uh, booth actually, which was pretty G. And I just remember watching Conor McGregor knock out Dalton in 40 seconds. The whole place was going nuts. I was going nuts. I still have it on my phone. It was one of the craziest things I've seen. Throwing the uh, shoulder, someone the shoulder hits to Cowboy's nose, hitting with a head kick, dropping him, laying into him. It was one of the craziest experiences. Um, other than that, the car overall, nothing really too big. Uh, Drew Dober actually knocked out Nazareth Hakpasra in a minute on this card. Um, Askar Askarov beat Tim Elliott. Sodic Yusuf actually beat Andre Feely. Macy Barber lost her first ever fight against Roxanne Modaffrey. Uh, Carlos uh, Diego Ferreira. I don't know why it says Carlos Diego Ferreira, but Diego Ferreira actually submitted Anthony Pettis to open up the main card. Brian Keller got a round one submission of Ode Osborne, and I watched Alexia Linick submit Maurice Green. Holly Holm and Hawkwell Penton then put up a dud in the co-main event, but Con McGregor absolutely stole the show. It's hard to believe how terrible the whole card was, and just Con McGregor made this so much better. His last win in the UFC, I got to witness. There's no fight that I had the card, but Con McGregor, Alexia Linick, Brian Keller, Diego Ferreira, and Drew Dober all went home with 50K. Oh my gosh. And Con McGregor, Made three million disclosed money. Made three million without no win money, just three million to fight for this card. I mean, absolutely insane. Conor McGregor, a legend. Following that, I watched my first ever full uh, main card fight night. Uh, Curtis Blades versus uh, Rafael Dos uh, or Junior Dos Santos. Wow, Junior Dos Santos. Um, Actually, this is pretty crazy. A bantamweight bout was scheduled between Frankie Edgar and Corey Sanhagen, but uh, Frankie Edgar withdrew to face Chan Sung Jung. That was back in 2019. 
How about that? Um, after Jung's original opponent, Brian Ortega pulled out. Wow, it's crazy to hear what fights could have been. So it's a pretty interesting card. I mean, on the prelims, uh, Herbert Burns, Gilbert Burns' uh, brother, actually knocked out Nate Lander with a knee in round number one. Uh, Arnold Allen got a unanimous decision win over Nick Lentz. Pretty interesting. Main card kicked off with Jamal Hill going to a decision against Darko Stosic. Angela Hill finishing Hannah Cyphers with a TKO. Alex Perez submitting Jordan Espinosa. Michael Chiesa grappling half of Los Angeles to death. And then I got to witness Curtis Blades for the first time as he standing TKO Junior Dos Santos. Pretty fun. Uh, and I was I think I became a fan of Curtis Blades after that. Good good stuff for that. Second pay-per-view, of course, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings. John Jones versus Dominic Reyes at UFC 247. And, you know, this one was pretty, pretty wild. I mean, uh, I mean, prelims-wise, I mean, looking at everything, you had Mario Batista getting the finish on here. Chaos Williams knocking out Alex Morono in 27 seconds. Lauren Murphy winning a split decision. Trevin Giles winning a split decision. And the main card, Derek Lewis beating the Utah yeah, Latifi, so boring. Danny Gay being Mersad Bactic, so boring. Justin Taffa knocking out Juan Adams was uh, pretty pretty shocking. I didn't really know who Justin Taffa was at the time. I think I picked Juan, but is what it is. Valentina beating Caitlin Chukagian in a boring coming event. And then the worst decision I've ever seen. John Jones and Dominic Reyes. Like I said, everything works out the way it does. Clearly, John Jones was meant to win that night, but everyone around me was saying Dominic Reyes won that fight. I thought it did. My parents thought it thought Dominic Reyes won that. And to hear that not a single judge. Not a single judge gave him the fight, and even worse than that, one judge only gave him one round. He clearly won the first two. I think it comes down to the third round, which I thought he won, and I'd even said 49-46 in favor of Dominic Reyes. It was one of the worst decisions I've ever seen, and since then, Dominic Reyes' career has never been the same, and John Jones still remains the greatest fighter in mixed martial arts history, but man, that was a fun fight to watch. After that, back to my uh, back to my casa where I watched. Um, oh my gosh! The last time UFC was in New Mexico for Corey Anderson versus Jan Blahovich. Um, that card overall uh, on the prelims, you actually had Marab Dovashelli beating Casey Kenny. You had Devin Clark beating Daquan Townsend. John uh, John Dodson TKOing Nathaniel Wood. How about that? Daniel Rodriguez making Tim Means. On the main card, a couple of decisions. Lando Venata, Ray Borg winning decisions. Brock Weaver winning because of a legal knee. I always thought Brock Weaver would be good. He wasn't. Um, Diego Sanchez losing to Michelle Pereira in the co-main event because of an illegal knee in a fight Michelle Pereira was winning. It was absolutely ridiculous, but it was all worth it when we got to the main event at Hyablohovich at Corriers with an uppercut that dropped him out cold, and I became a fan of Hyablohovich. Polish power. For Jan Blahovich, such a fun, uh, such a fun fight watching uh, that one back. One of, my, one of my good, better knockouts for the year. After that, we went to Auckland, New Zealand, where well, at the time this was my favorite fight night of uh, or my main event, probably of uh, all time that went the full distance. Dan Hooker and Paul Felder throwing down in Auckland, New Zealand. It was an absolute war. Came down to a split decision, and Dan Hooker won. So much fun uh, on that card. Jimmy Crute would submit Michael Olkajasek in uh, round number one. Jan Chayonen would win a unanimous decision. Marcos Rojo de Lima would TKO Ben Sassoli in a minute and a half. Brad uh, Riddell would defeat Magomed Mustafev. Jalen Turner would get a TKO win on the prelims. Sanki Nangan knockout win on the prelims. Jake Matthews would win. Kaikar Franz would win on the prelims. Uh, but this night is remembered as uh, basically Paul Felder's last good fight and Dan Hooker's uh, final big win, I guess, if you want to say it like that. 
Then we went to Norfolk, Virginia. So random for uh, UFC fight night. Benavides versus Figueredo. And Figueredo missed weight. It was an absolute vibe killer. Um, absolutely ridiculous. It was very sad seeing that uh, he missed weight. Because in the main event, he absolutely brutalized Josef Benavides in round number two. Round one was close. I actually gave it to Josef. And Figueredo hit him with a knockout punch in round number two. Dropped him straight down. Hit a couple follow-ups. Man, that was a good moment. On the prelims, you can find Sean Brady winning a fight. Uh, Marcin Tibera beating Sergey Spivak by Davis decision. Brendan Allen TKOing Tom Breeze round number one. Uh, main card, Grant Dawson defeating Derek Minor with a round two submission. Megan Anderson one punch knocking out Norma Dumont. That was interesting. And the very notable Magomed Agkalaevian Kudalaba incident where the fight was stopped uh, prematurely because Ian Kudalaba looked like he was out on his feet. It was really faking it. One of the weirdest moments I've witnessed in UFC history. It was a really weird moment. Co-main event for this uh, fight night was Felicia Spencer versus Zara Farron. And little did we know that Felicia Spencer's round one TKO would earn her a title shot a year later. Absolutely crazy. Um, Davison Figueredo, this was basically building his resume as a beast. And then the last event I ever watched at Buffalo Wild Wings and probably ever will, I don't know if it's ever coming back, was UFC 248, Adesanya versus Romero. I was so hyped for this. I was so hyped for this fight. And oh my gosh, it sadly let me down. Actually, pretty crazy. Robert Whitaker was fight Jared Cannonier on this fight, but uh, Whitaker had to pull out. Um, Sean O'Malley returned on this card. Uh, Calvin Cater and Jeremy Stevens were actually supposed to fight on this card. Uh, most part, Evlov was supposed to fight on this card. Oh, how about that? Derek Brunson and Edmund Shabazian were supposed to take place at this event, um, but they moved them to a different fight night. Uh, Giga Chikadze debuted on this card, winning a split decision. Gerald Mearshart got a submission win. Rodolfo Vieira got a submission win. Sean O'Malley, final prelim, two-minute TKO of Jose Alberto Quinones. I love that. That was the first fight I saw Sean O'Malley getting a nice KO. Not one of his most spectacular, but dominant, yes. Moving into the main card, a couple of dugs, Alex Oliveira defeating Max Griffin, Neil Magny defeating Li Jing Liang, and then Benil Dariush and Jakar Klosta, performance of the night. Oh my gosh, an absolute banger. Um, Jakar Klosta thought he, actually, round one was just Benil Dariush just hanging on Jakar Klosta, literally on his back. Round two, Jakar comes out swinging, almost knocks him out. Then Benil clips him, clips him, he's brought him back into the ring, hits him with one punch. The mouth guard of Jakar Klosta pops out of his mouth, and one of the most iconic moments of Joe Rogan, John Attic, and Dago Cormier just all in disbelief. That was the viral clip. That was a fun fight. Absolutely loved Benil Dariush versus Jakar Close. And then Zhang Wei Li versus Joanna Jojek. I saw the greatest women's title fight, probably women's fight overall, one of the greatest UFC fights, MMA fights of all time, live. It was absolutely crazy. This dumb. Joanna's face was swollen. Zhang Wei Li was eating big shots. They were both bloody, and it came down to a split decision. And the woman I picked, Zhang Wei Li, walked away with the win. It was so entertaining. And then all the energy was sucked out of Buffalo Wild Wings as we watched the worst fight of all time. It was a lot of science for Joel Romero. Probably the second worst after I watched Rose Namajunas and Carlos Barza. But um, this was absolutely terrible. We're going to give it no more time. Just I want you all to know, if you want to mess with one of your friends, tell them to watch the full Adesanya versus Joel Romero fight and say it's the greatest fight of all time. After that, oh man, we began the endless run of COVID venue fights. March 14th, 2020, the day after 
I was I found out it was actually March 13th, 2020. I found out that I would not be having school the next week due to COVID, which was a uh, pretty interesting. Uh, it was it was actually unreal at the time because I'm like, holy cow! Like, is this really that serious? I didn't think I'd be out of out of school that long. And um, I remember watching this. I think it was Home Alone or something. My parents were out and about because, like, you know, COVID wasn't that big of a deal at the time. And I remember watching UFC Fight Night, Kevin Lee versus uh, Charles Oliveira. It was held in an empty Brazilian arena. And I'm just like, this is one of the most boring, boring fights I've freaking ever seen. But there were a couple of good moments. On the prelims, David Dork winning his UFC debut. Marina Moroz versus Myra Bueno Silva. Yes, the woman who just lost Aqua Pendon had the fight of the night on the prelims. Didn't even watch that. Um, Brandon Moreno won on the prelims. I just want you to know, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven prelims, all decisions, first two fights of the main card, submit decisions. We had nine decisions out of 12 fights. Uh, one of those being Nikita Kreloff defeating Johnny Walker. The downfall of Johnny Walker was very sad, but he's kind of came back. Hanato Moikano would then submit Demir Hedzovic in 44 seconds, and after submitting him, would complain to Demir that the fight was stopped so early that he wanted to fight. And Demir was like, well, why did why would you submit me? It was such a random moment. And then, man, oh, man, I watched Gilbert Burns knock out Damian Maya one punch, dropped him with one punch, ref didn't stop it, so Gilbert laid into him. It was the beginning of the rise for Gilbert Burns. And then the main event, Charles Oliveira, Kevin Lee, putting on a show, excellent grappling fest. They were uh, doing pretty good, Kevin Lee giving him a run for his money, but Charles Oliveira came away with a round three guillotine and got it done. Any fights supposed to go down here? Um, No, nothing much. This was always supposed to be the headliner. After that, this is one of the craziest what could have happened uh, series of events that I've ever seen. Um, UFC Fight Night, Tyrone Woodley versus Leon Edwards, supposed to go down March 21st in London, and it was canceled. And following that, the events on March 21st, 28th, 11th, 25th, and May 2nd were all canceled. I like to look at the current Tyrone Woodley is supposed to fight Leon Edwards in March of 2020. It's crazy where both of their lives went absolutely insane. Some of the canceled fights in here that are pretty uh, interesting to see. Jack Marshman versus Kevin Holland was canceled. Jack Marshman was actually the guy who Sean Strickland is going in the clip. Come on, Jack. Swing, Jack. And we all know how good Kevin Holland is. Darren Stewart was supposed to take on Marvin Vittori. How about that? Paul Craig was supposed to fight Ryan Spann at light heavyweight. Very interesting fight there. Um, Tom Aspinall was supposed to fight Jake Collier and Bartosz Fabinski was supposed to fight Shavkat Rachmanov. Oh, what could have been with a lot of these fights. Following that, we were supposed to get Francis Ngannou versus Jarzinho Rosenstruck, March 28th in Columbus, Ohio. Um, unfortunately, this was also canceled. Ngannou and Rosenstruck was moved to UFC 249, which we'll get to in a second. But that is just wild to see. It's just wild to me to see the um uh, the fights that could have been on imagine if this was the main event and Francis Ngannou would knock Dajazinho in front of a live crowd in 20 seconds wild um Matt Brown was supposed to fight Michael Beza that fight happened Greg Cardi was supposed to fight Jorgen De Castro that happened Sam Alvey was supposed to fight Khalil Roundtree Jr. imagine if that fight would have happened Marlon Vera was supposed to fight Eddie Wineland that's pretty ironic since Sean O'Malley ended up fighting Eddie Wineland next. And uh, yeah, Tisha Torres was fight Mizuki Anu. I don't know. No, nothing right there. Um, next up, we were supposed to get uh, Alistair Overeem versus Walt Harris in uh, Portland, Oregon. Those two did end up fighting at an Apex main event. And the co-main event was Derek Brunson versus Edmund Shabazian. That was supposed to be 
um, on this card as well. That ended up getting moved. Carlos Barza, Michelle Watterson, that fight was moved. Vicente Luque, Randy Brown, that fight was moved. So many moved fights from this card. Um, Davi Ramos and Armin Tezukri were supposed to fight on this card. Did they end up fighting? Or no, Davi Ramos lost to Islam Makhachev. That's what I was thinking of. And Lincoln, Nebraska, this was actually a card my dad was looking at. Uh, Anthony Smith was supposed to take on Glover to share in the main event. That fight did end up happening. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Carl Roberson was supposed to take on Marvin Vittori. That fight ended up happening. Uh, nothing too big on this card. Pretty lame overall. Wow, I'm so glad that that fight didn't happen. And the last canceled event was Jack Hermanson versus Chris Weidman. It was supposed to go down in Oklahoma City. Uh, crazy that we could have seen Chris Weidman versus Jack Hermanson. Um, Bryce Mitchell was supposed to take on Charles Rose on this card. That ended up happening. Jacob Harris was supposed to take on jo- Drew Dobert. Edson Barbosa was supposed to take on Josh Emmett. Oh, what could have been there. That looked, oh, that looked like so much fun. And then we get to one of my favorite, my first pay-per-view I bought, which led to me buying so many pay-per-views, and that was UFC 249. This was supposed to be Habib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson, but Habib had to pull out. It was so, so sad. In step Justin Gaethje, and the rest is history. As we all know, the downfall of Tony Ferguson began here. Actually, fun fact, Shamil Abdurkimov was supposed to fight Cyril Gaon on this card. How about that? Um, former Bellator welterweight champion Lyman Good and Blah Muhammad were supposed to fight on this card. I think they ended up getting moved. And Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade were supposed to be the co-main event for this, but they were actually moved to later in the year. This fight was pushed around so much. Um, Khabib couldn't get here. He couldn't um get here in time due to visa issues, which was pretty wild. Um, as I as I mentioned, there's a lot of moved bouts. Um, the UFC announced on April 6th that Nurmagomedov will be replaced by Justin Gaethje. The rest of the card also underwent changes. Ooh, what changes happened? Yes, Nagano and Rosenstruck being moved. Um, Islam Makachev was expected to face Alexander Hernandez, but was removed from the event due to travel restrictions. Huh. What could have been there? Um, Magbanakalaev and Yain Kualabo were supposed to fight on this card. They were That was rescheduled. Wow, so much stuff happened. Yeah, this fight bounced all around and ended up being held in Florida. An empty, empty venue. Pretty, pretty wild. I watched this entire card. Uh, I think I don't know if it was held late at night, but I remember watching Ryan Spann and Sam Alvey go to a split decision. That was pretty crazy. Bryce Mitchell grappling Charles Rosa to death. Vicente Luque and Nico Price putting on a bloody fight. Oh, my gosh, a doctor stoppage. Carlos Barza being Michelle Waterson in one of the worst decisions I've seen. Lexi Olenek defeating Fabrizio Verdue with a decision he shouldn't have won. Uh, Don Cerrone losing a decision that he probably should have won. Main card kicked off, Greg Hardy and Jorgen De Castro. Kind of a dud to kick off the night. But then Calvin Cater got us going with a nasty knockout of Jeremy Stevens with an elbow. Ninganu would knock out Jarzinho Rosenstruck in 20 seconds with a crazy swing and thi- piss. Oh my gosh, this looked like hammers. So Hudo would beat Dominic Cruz uh, in the co-main event, which was pretty crazy. Dominic Cruz stepping in to fight for a belt, his last title shot ever. And then Justin Gaethje become the first man to finish Tony Ferguson, knock him out. Man, and the rest is history. After that, a couple events in Jacksonville, Florida, including Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira. Not to drag out every event, but, I mean, not too many memorable moments on here. Tegan Moises uh, had an ankle lock over um, Michael Johnson. I remember, uh, who else? Drew Dober, TKO, and Alexander Hernandez. And Glover Teixeira just mauling Anthony Smith. Oh, at one point, Anthony said his teeth were falling out. I mean, just vulgar. Just absolute vulgarity of it. Then we ended up getting Alistair Overeem versus Walt Harris. 
And Walt Harris almost finished Alistair Overeem in round number one, faded in round two, and got TKO'd. Absolutely crazy. Uh, that was a fun, fun two-round fight. Danny Gay won a terrible decision over Edson Barbosa, one of the worst decisions I've seen. Also, Song Dong and Marlon Vera, another bad decision. Matt Brown would have a face plant KO when he got knocked out by Michael Beza. Kevin Holland would get a finish on this card. Giga Chikadze fought on the prelims. Pretty crazy stuff there. Um, Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns would beat Tyron Woodley on May 30th in a fight night main event, dominating him through five straight rounds. Surprised he didn't knock him out. Very surprised here. Um, Mackenzie Dern would get a knee bar over Hannah Cyphers. Caitlin Chukagian, after losing to Valentina Shevchenko, would actually beat her sister, Antonia Shevchenko, in the prelims. I found that pretty comical. Jamal Hill would have a no contest against Clidson Abreu. Brandon Rival would submit Tim Elliott. And Chris Gutierrez would knock out Vince Morales. Um, nothing. The most memorable thing from that card, probably Gilbert Burns winning. And UFC 250, which was main evented by Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer, an absolute terrible, terrible main event. Um, why these fights are supposed to be on this card? Uh, no, there were some memorable moments on this card, certainly. Um, Juicy Formiga's last appearance in the UFC when Knox Perez would leg TKO kick him on the prelims. Uh, main card, Eddie, Eddie Wyland getting viciously knocked out by Sean Malley, one of Sean Malley's best walk-off KOs. Super legendary. Aljamain Sterling submitting Corey Sanhagen in a minute and a half. And the co-main event, Cody Garbrandt having his one punch, one second left in round number two, one punch knockout of Hafele Sun Sal. Those are the three best, three bantamweight moments on that card all happen. Then we got into Apex events, and oh my gosh, Jessica I versus Cynthia Cavio was a main event, and people were hyped for it. I was hyped for it. Uh, Marab Dovashelli won on the prelims on that card. Uh, Martin Vittori, probably having the best moment of the night, submitting Carl Robeson in round number one with Renee Kachoko. I think that was Marvin Vittori's last finish. Continuing this run of UFC Apex events, Curtis Blades would take on <laughs> Alexander Volkov, a grapple fest in this one. Oh my gosh, so brutal. Josh Evans and Shane Burgos would have an amazing co-main event. Blah Muhammad would beat Lyman Good. Jim Miller would begin one of his... Actually, this was the beginning of Jim Miller's crazy run, honestly. Prelims, uh, Bobby Green would beat Clay Guida. <laughs> not, not much happened on this card. Curtis Blades continuing his run. Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker, though, June 27th. I mean, this, oh my gosh. Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, this had became my favorite fight at the moment after watching this. I mean, these two went to war. It was tied heading into the final round, and Dustin Poirier came out on top. That was one of the craziest fights I've seen. You also had Mike Perry in the co-main event coming out with his girlfriend in his corner to beat Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall, all right, the man who beat CM Punk, lost to Mike Perry with just his girlfriend in his corner. Let's not forget that. Brendan Allen would get a win on this card, and yeah, just this was Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker, the best moment on this card whatsoever. What time are we looking at? Hour and 32? I don't know if we're going to get under two hours for this podcast. I hope so. Uh, UFC 251. I remember I was at Cub watching this, um, watching, uh, waiting for this, and then I get got home just as the main card was starting. UFC 251 was massive. This was held on Fight Island, uh, Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi. I mean, this was absolutely crazy. And looking back, this card was absolutely loaded. Early prelims, you had Davy Grant, Marcin Taipura, Raleen Paiva. Regular prelims, you had Jerry Pochaska knocking out Volkan Osmir. That was wild. Main card, Paige Van Zandt's last appearance in the UFC getting submitted by Amanda Hebus. Then Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade would have a close split decision. Uh, Piotr Jan would win the bantamweight belt, TKO and Jose Aldo. I would witness the 
you know, you want to talk about robberies, um, you know, Donald Graves and John Jones was bad. Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, too, one of the worst ones I've seen. I know it was close, but Max clearly won that fight. I have no idea how Volkanovsky got that decision. And the main event, of course, Kamaru Usman putting up a dud against Jorge Masvidal. Oh, my gosh. Let me just grapple them for, for five straight rounds. Waste of time. Next up on Fight Island, we had Calvin Cater and Dan Ige. Original co-main event was supposed to be Pedro Munoz and Frank Yeager, but that was actually moved um, later on in the year. Any other big fights on here? Yeah, uh, nothing really. Calvin Cater defeated Dan Ige by decision. All five, all five main card fights ended in decision. You actually had Talia Santos defeating Molly McCann by decision. The most notable thing was Hamzat Chemaev submitting John Phillips, the debut of Hamzat Chemaev. Little did we know he'd be amazing. July 19th, you went ahead the Fa Lightweight Championship finally on the line. Davison Figueredo and Josef Benavidez. One of the most brutal championship performances I've ever seen is Davison Figueredo destroyed Benavidez in round one. Absolutely obliterating him, submitting him. And when Joseph woke up, he was screaming. It was absolutely wild. Jack Romanson would get his last and honestly probably the last of his career submission win against Calvin Gaslam with a minute and 18 heel hook. Pretty interesting. Rafael Fazeev would beat Mark Dickey, me name is decision. Askar Askarov would actually defeat Alexander Pentoja. That's right, your current flyweight champion by unanimous decision to open up the main card. Roman Dovizze, the man fighting this weekend, would get a round one TKO. Armand Sukran would actually win on the prelims. Sergey Spivak would win on the prelims. Miral Bazi would win on the prelims. Man, a lot of prelims, guys. A lot of notable guys. Uh, the final event on uh, Fight Island for this little run was uh, Whitaker and Till. It was actually pretty loaded um, leading into this. It was actually a pretty good fight. Robert Whitaker and Darren Till putting up a great show. It was tied heading in the final round. Robert Whitaker came on top. It was sad to see that was the last time we saw Darren Till engage in a competitive fight. You also had uh, Hamza Chemaev getting the, at the what the time it was the fastest uh, finishes in two days or wins in two days. Pretty impressive stuff there. You had Paul Craig getting a submission win. Carlos Barza defeating Marina Rodriguez. You had Fabricio Verdum submitting Alexander Gustafson in round number one. Very random. Uh, on the prelims, Tom Asmall getting a round 45-second uh, TKO over Jake Collier. Most for Evlov getting unanimous decision. A lot of fun fights on this card. And that little Fight Island run was super fun to be a part of. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these I recall watching in my basement, just kind of watching, watching wherever I was at. Nothing too, too spectacular. We're getting into August now, almost done. We're almost done, everyone. If you're waiting to be done with this, don't worry. I add time markers now to my podcast. Um, wow, this was a very short fight card. Only eight fights on this card. Um, Derek Brunson defeated Emin Shabazian in a three-round uh, main event, which ended up being uh, only in three rounds as he TKO'd him. Was there another fight that was supposed to be the main event of this? Oh, Holly Holm and Ariel Dono was supposed to be the main event. Oh, how much more exciting, right? Vicente um, <laughs> Luque would knock out Randy Brown on this card. Yeah, nothing much. Not just a whole series of Apex events. Oh, I remember this one. UFC Fight Night, uh, Derek Lewis versus Lexi Olenek, August 8th. Uh, I remember my cousins were up, and we were watching this in my basement, and the TV cut out after round one where Alexi Olenek had just grappled Derek Lewis. And not even a 20 seconds into round number two, Derek Lewis had already knocked out Alexi Olenek. And we were like, what? What We missed it, so we had to rewind it. It was a funny moment. You actually had Kevin Holland knocking out Jokey Buckley. On this card, and Chris Weidman getting his last UFC win. And Benil Darius spinning backfisting. Uh, Scott Holtzman, that's a nasty KO. One of the better ones I've seen. 
Getting into August, we witnessed Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier 3 at UFC 252. Amazing poster, the trilogy, the finale, and Stipe came out on top with unanimous decision. Co-main event, you had Marlon Vera becoming the first man to beat Sean O'Malley. That was pretty crazy. Marab Dovashelli got a win on this card. Jim Miller actually lost on this card. Pretty crazy. And Chris Dawkins defeated Parker Porter. It's crazy that fight happened. <laughs> I'm mocking it, by the way. August 22nd, Pedro Munoz versus Frank Yeager. I remember I actually got back from like an eight-hour shift from work, and I just crashed for this fight. I literally missed the whole main event. I just woke up, and Frank Yeager had won a split decision. Um, not nothing other than that. Nothing too big on this card at all. Uh, yeah. Wow. Some of some of these Apex cards were pretty brutal in 2020. Oh, Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakic, and Neil Magny versus Robbie Lawler in the co-main event. Pretty pretty brutal. Uh, Sean Brady got a submission win on this card. That's all I got for you. We'll try and skim through some of these. September 5th, uh, uh, Alistair Overeem defeating Augusto Sakai in the main event. I remember that Augusto was winning and literally faded after like the second round. And uh, Alistair Overeem just absolutely destroyed him. It's one of the shortest, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. This is the smallest fight card of all time with only seven fights. I don't know what happened. They just kept losing fights on this card on Michelle Pajero. Got a finish on this card. Andre Munez got a finish on this card. Wow. Wow. I forgot that happened. September 12th, you had, actually, this this will surprise you. Michelle Watterson, Angela Hill put on a pretty exciting fight night main event. And it was a bad decision. Angela Hill should have won that fight. I remember that, and I stand by that. You had Billy Corantillo knock out Kyle Nelson. You had Alexander Romanov getting a submission. You had Jalen Turner getting a submission. Nothing too memorable on that card. September 19th, Kobe Covington versus Tyron Woodley. I actually remember I was at my buddy's, uh, Kyle's house. We were going to watch this, and he had to go do something, so I ended up just heading home. Uh, I'm, I was a big Kobe Covington fan at the time, so it was cool watching him beat Tyron Woodley. Also on this card, you had Hansa Chmaev's 17-second knockout, Johnny Walker and Ryan Spann's hectic 2 minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, even Donald Trump and Nico Price put on a good co-main event. Nothing. Uh, anyone on the prelims? Marabuno Silva got a submission. Good for her. Getting into uh, UFC 253 on Fight Island. This is one of the most hyped events uh, I was at the time. Adesanya finishing his rivalry with Paulo Costa, knocking him out in the second round. Pretty good moment there. I remember I watched this whole whole card. Oh, my gosh. This was this was amazing. I love them Fight Island cards going down the middle of the day. So exciting. John Blahovich defeating Dominic Reyes. That was crazy. Brandon Roy Valen, Kaikara France, round two, fight of the night. That was crazy. Man, some good moments on some of these pay-per-views. October 4th, Holly Holmes and Irene Aldana. Don't really remember that fight. It was in a grapple fest. Yeah. Any big moments from that card? None whatsoever. Oh, Jermaine Durandamy submitted Julia Pena. And uh, Julia Pena would get a title fight one fight later. That was pretty That was pretty goofy. Um, October. Uh, Marlon Moraes getting knocked out by Corey Sandhagen with a spinning wheel kick. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Driscus Duplessis' debut, knocking out Marcus Perez. You had Tom Aspinall getting a finish. You had Ia Topira going to a decision. How about that? You get Chikadze on the prelims. Jokey Buckley's uh, spinning back kick over Impa Consagana happened on this card. One of the craziest ninja-looking kicks you'll ever see went down. I remember I did watch that. I did watch that. I saw clips on Instagram. I'm like, I can't believe I missed that. 
October 18th, Brian Ortega versus the Korean Zombie. This was Brian Ortega's last win as he returned after two years, I think it was, to beat Chancellor Young by unanimous decision. Jessica Andrade moving up in weight would defeat Caitlin Chukagan with a round one TKO. Jimmy Crute's knockout of Modestus Bukakis, absolutely brutal on this card. Groom Kuladze and Matus Gamrot's very, very close fight. And Sayer Demagmanov getting a 51 second knockout over Mark Stragel. Those were some cool moments. UFC 254, the first ever card. I predicted the entire main card directly. 6 0. Perfect. One of my favorite cards of all time. Crazy on the prelims who had tied to Ivasa and Shavka. Both game round one finishes. Kicking off the main card, I mean, Magman Ankulayev knocking out on Kulaba, brutal. Lauren Murphy getting a submission. Phil Haas' 18-second knockout of Jacob Malkoon. Alexander Volkov's body king knockout of Walt Harris. Robert Wicker and Jared Kanier having a close fight. And then the final fight of Khabib Nurmagomedov's career, he submits Justin Gaethje. He just looked in his prime that night. Following that, I mean, I'm, actually, I remember I was I worked in the morning and I made it back from work just in time to watch that whole main card. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, Anderson uh, Silva fought Uriah Hall on Halloween. I think it was out and about with some of my friends for this. Didn't really watch this. I know Uriah Hall TKO'd Anderson Silva. Uh, Bryce Mitchell put on a boring fight against Andre Feely, but this will probably be remembered as Anderson Silva's last fight in the UFC. After that, you had Glover Teixeira. Versus Tiago Santos. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. And Glover Teixeira beat Tiago Santos. I was also out with my friends for this card. Get Chikadze getting a round one TKO win. Jan Chaonen defeating Claudia Gadella. Oh, cool, cool fights there. Glover Teixeira's rise to the top started here. Paul Felder stepping on short notice fight. Hafel Dos Anjos after Islam Makachev pulled out. Paul was training for a marathon. This was regarded as one of the most random split decisions as it was clear Hafel won every round and one judge gave it 48-47 to Paul Felder. Super random. Most right, Chaos Williams knocking out Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in 30 seconds. Sean Strickland, TKO and Brendan Allen. Some random moments in 2020. UFC 255 was headlined by Davis and Figueredo and Alex Perez. Crazy that this was a hyped card. Um, on the prelims, I mean, you had Alan Joban, I think, getting his final UFC win. Joking Buckley KOing Jordan Wright. Brandon Moreno TKOing Brandon Raval. Paul Craig knocking out Mauricio Rua. Uh, Tim Means defeating Mike Perry. Valentina putting up a dud against Jeff Ryan. And then Davis and Figueredo submitting Alex Perez in under two minutes. November 28th, you had uh, Anthony Smith and Devin Clark. Anything on there? You know, Anthony Smith submitted. Devin Clark proved that he wasn't completely washed up. Other than that, nothing really big on this card. Uh, Jack Hermanson, Marvin Vittori, actually watched this at my buddy's house. I put it on the TV. And after thinking Marvin Vittori was going to knock out Jack Hermanson in the first round, it did not happen. Instead, went all five rounds. Jamal Hill uh, actually knocked out Ovin St. Prue on this card. Roman Diaz-Dizze would win a split decision. And Ian Chopira would knock out Damon Jackson, round number one. Damon Jackson has been knocked down in some brutal ways. Final pay-per-view of the year, UFC 256, Figueredo versus Moreno, which became my favorite fight of the, of, the, of the time. After that, they put on an absolutely amazing majority draw, crazy fight. After I just watched Tony Ferguson get uh, brutally outgrappled by Charles Oliveira. Kevin Holland's ground knockout. He was really on the ground, knocked out. Um, what is it? Ronaldo Souza. That was crazy. Um, sure, God, finishing Junior Dos Santos on this card. How about that? On the on the prelims, actually, you had two crazy KOs, Rafael Vizivo over Nal Moicano, and Cub Swanson versus Dale Pineda. One-punch knockouts. Final fight of the year. Wow. 
wow, this is how long all my reviews are going to be. I, I hope not. I hope not. But, I mean, looking back at the full year, you'd be surprised. Final event of the year, Wonder Boy Thompson, Stephen Thompson fighting Jeff Neal. Um, do I remember when I was watching this? Um, I think it was just at my house. You know, a lot of these I watched at my house because it was COVID times, but a couple I was out and about. On this card, you had Marcin Tibera, TKO and Greg Hardy, Rob Font, TKO and Marlon Marais, Jose Aldo defeating Marlon Vera in the co-main event, and then Wonderboy Thompson humbling Jeff Neal, outstriking out him through five straight rounds. I'd say, you know, a lot of good moments throughout the year, um, but man, the Conor McGregor, we'll never forget that. Dominic Reyes being robbed of a championship win, won't forget that. Zhang Weili, Joanna, J.J. Check, Buffalo Wild Wings going nuts for that. Watching all of UFC 249 and its unexpected glory. Uh, you know, Poirier and Hooker, amazing main event there. You had some amazing events. Khabib's final fight and Davis Figueredo main eventing back-to-back events. I don't know if that's ever been done since. Some amazing times in 2020 for the UFC. And you know what? Do I wish I could go back? Maybe. I like leaving the past and just appreciate it. So, folks, that's all we got for UFC in 2020. My experience, wow, we still have 2021, 2022, and we'll even do 2023 to keep us a rolling. But let's wrap up this podcast with a review of the conference games of the NFL season. Do we think we can wrap this up? In 13 minutes, we'll try so I can upload the audio to YouTube. We'll see what happens. But we kicked off NFL Sunday, our conference games, with the Chiefs and the Ravens. And oh, son of a gun, the Chiefs won 17-10. to 10. I, I changed my pick last second, but remember I said I wasn't going to change my pick? Yeah, I did change my pick. Um, so I did not win picks this week. My dad won picks. He got eight points. I got seven. Lexi got six, and my mom got one. Uh, none of us picked the Chiefs, actually, even though I had that and I changed it. So we didn't get any any points. So unfortunate. Um, Lexi did get a point for saying that the Chiefs would be leading at half as they were. The Chiefs were up at halftime. I mean, where does it say the scoring summary? Because, I mean, uh, first quarter, Travis Kelsey catches a touchdown. Then uh, Zay Flowers caught a touchdown from Malar, and It's 7-7 first quarter. Then second quarter, touchdown from Isaiah Pacheco. A field goal to end it from Harrison Bucker. And that was all the scoring the Chiefs did. A fourth-quarter field goal from Justin Tucker would do it, as the, the offense has just had nothing in this game. Absolutely nothing. Putting up duds by me, Mahomes. 30 for 39, 241 yards and a touchdown. Decently good. Isaiah Pacheco, 68 yards on 24 carries for a touchdown. Travis Kelsey actually had a five-yard run. But Travis Kelsey was the MVP of this game. 11 for 11 on catches and receptions. 116 yards and a touchdown. And he kissed Taylor Swift after the game. Making me sick. I can't believe they're back in the Super Bowl. Rasheed Rice, eight catches, 46 yards. Also having himself a nice little time. Nice little time. Uh, George Karlaftis got an interception this game. And so did Tershawn Walton and Charles Omenu. Oh, those are sacks. Who got picks? Dion Bush got a pick. That's what it was. I, I knew someone got a pick in this game for the Chiefs. Ravens-wise, Lamar, 272 yards. Touchdown interception, had 54 yards running. I mean, Gus Edwards only was given three carries. They just were not lying on the run. Zay Flowers, five catches, 115 yards, a touchdown, and a fumble at the one-yard line. Absolutely brutal. Nelson Aguilar, one catch for 39 yards. Odell, three catches, only 22 yards. Mark Andrews, only two catches, 15 yards on the check. Lamar was not locked in for this game, I'll say that. Lamar Jackson was not locked in whatsoever. I have no idea what he was doing. He was throwing balls in the triple coverage. Guys were fumbling. Just the offense of the Ravens failed this team. Man, makes me so sad. 
Baltimore, I don't know what to do, you know? It's one of those, like, how good can you do? How many regular seasons can you win your division or do good in your division, make the playoffs, and then just lose in the playoffs? I don't know. I have no idea. Ah, oh, man. Uh, what were some deciding factors? The penalties. I mean, eight penalties for 95 for the Ravens, only three for 30 for the uh, Chiefs. And I mean, we can all theorize. Time of possession, too. 37 minutes, 30 seconds for the Chiefs. 22 minutes, 30 seconds for the Ravens. Ravens offense, just huge letdown. Lamar, playoff, playoff curse lives on. Lamar is cursed in the playoffs. It's unfortunate, but it is, um, it's expected. It's expected when that happens to you. Ravens also had the most turnovers out of all four teams. How about that? I find that pretty fascinating, don't we? We'll move into our uh, second game real quick, and then I'll look at the fantasy football stats and picks and stuff. Lions, 49ers, glad this game was put on second. It was worth the money. 49ers win 34-31, but son of a gun. You know, the Lions are my last hope, you know. Yeah, maybe being a Vikings fan, you know, I was rooting for the Lions. I mean, they start off the game perfectly. Jamison Williams, a 42-yard touchdown run, and under not even two minutes in on the opening drive for the Lions, put them up seven. Next drive, David Montgomery goes down, punches in a one-yard touchdown. It was 14-rip heading in the second quarter. Christian McCaffrey would get a little two-yard touchdown run, but then Jameer Gibbs would get a touchdown run. Michael Bagley would hit a field goal, and it was 24-7 heading into halftime. And then the 49ers decided to show up. Third quarter, Jake Moody kicks it off with a field goal. Then Brandon Ayuk would get a touchdown pass. And then Christian McCaffrey running a touchdown. And then it was tied 24-24 into the fourth quarter. Jake Moody would kick a field goal. Then Elijah Mitchell would punch in a touchdown with three minutes left. And you know what? To be fair, Jared Goff, he led a two-minute touchdown drive to make it 34-31. to It was too little too late. There were some notable drop passes by Josh Reynolds. Two failed fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three um, fails by a... Uh, with Dan Campbell, when he probably should have punted, but not not punted, but kicked a field goal. He probably should have kicked a field goal, but he stayed true to who he was, risking it, going for it on fourth down. You know what? If you're going to live by the sword, might as well die by the sword. Rushing yards, absolutely insane. Lions, most rushing yards of any team, 182 rushing yards. Definitely a factor in this game, but you know what? 49ers just came to play in the second half, and that ended up being the deciding factor. Time of possession, you know, 49ers have five more minutes. That could be seen as effective. Uh, let's look at the player stats. Jared Goff, 25 for 41, 273 yards at touchdown. Definitely played solid. Dave Montgomery, 93 yards at touchdown. Jameer Gibbs, 45 yards at touchdown. They were doing excellent. Sam Laporta, nine catches, 97 yards. Amon Ra, seven catches, 87 yards. Jameson Williams, you know, two catches, 25 yards at touchdown. But Josh Reynolds, man. You uh, he dropped some key passes. Definitely one of the factors in this loss. But no one's blaming him. You lose as a team, you win as a team. Brock Purdy, 20 for 31, 267 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Chris McCaffrey, 90 yards rushing. How about that? He beat the Lions, hadn't held anyone under uh, over seven. They held everyone under 70 all year. McCaffrey runs for 90 and two touchdowns. Elijah Mitchell even punched a touchdown. Debo, eight catches, 89 yards. Brandon Ayuk, three catches, 68 yards and a touchdown. They were balling. George Kittle, two catches, 27 yards. Not that effective in this game, but you know what? The 49ers live on as they win their 14th game of the season. Same as the Chiefs. Both guys, you got to win 14 games to get here. Actually, how's that work? How does that work? How do they both want 14 games? I mean, the, the, the Chiefs finish with a Better, actually, that would make sense. They played an extra game, finished with a uh, 49ers with one better win. How about that? It works out, Zachary, to no one's surprise. So, Chiefs and 49ers, 
will be your Super Bowl 58, is it? 58? I can't really recall. I did predict the 49ers to win. My dad had the closest score, 34 to 24. Only seven off, or only, um, was yeah, seven off from the uh, losing team. Pretty impressive. Um, Lions had the most rushing yards. Lions also had the most passing yards out of all the teams. Most penalties went to the Ravens. How about that? I'm going to have to cook up some questions for the Super Bowl, as well as um, uh, some stipulations of some regard. Um, but as we look at my little playoff rom fancy thing, with my buddies to wrap up this little conference game thing. I mean, I, the majority of this podcast was me reviewing UFC, but that's kind of what this is all about. Um, Tyler's currently in first in our little fantasy playoff thing with 345.69 points. He put up 84.78 in the conference round. Lamar had 18.28. Now that, that was half of what he had. He had 36 in the divisional round. Big fall off. Jameer Gibbs, 14.6. Kind of held in check by 49ers. Brandon Ayuk, 15.8. He'll be going to the Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey, 29.1. Best performer. Harrison Bucker, 7 kicking points. Landon is in third place at the moment. Patrick Mahomes got 15.41. Three-point fall-off from his 18-point performances in the wild card and division round. Uh, Gus Edwards put up 4.6. Gus did nothing in the playoffs, really. Rasheed Rice, 12.6. You know what? You can't get, if Kelsey's hot, you're not getting the ball. So he'll have Rasheed Rice and Mahomes for the uh, Super Bowl. Only put up 32.34. Zachary, myself, is in second. Um, Isaiah Pacheco putting up 18.2. He's been getting better with every game. Dave Montgomery put up a 19.3 performance. Impressive performance, even though he's not joining me. Same with Amon Ra, 15.7. Debo. 17.6. Happy to have him in the championship game. Zay Flowers, 22.9. Man, would have had more if he would have just held on to that ball. George Kittle, 4.7, was held in check. And the Ravens defense only got um, five points, but you know what? Could have been worse. Could have been worse. They just uh, they only gave up 17 points, but the, it didn't do much. Didn't do too much. Dane is in last with uh, 238.76 points. Justin Tucker only gave him five. But Chris McCaffrey, 29.2, will keep him alive. Maybe he won't take last. Maybe he'll beat Landon if McCaffrey puts up, like, 100 points or something. I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens. But um, we won't be talking about the Super Bowl for another another week or so. We might mention the Pro Bowl next week. But, yeah, these conference games, they came. They went. The uh, second one definitely better than the first one. I don't want to say it felt scripted. I hate saying I hate saying the devil scripted because I know it's not scripted. I know it's not actually scripted, but I mean, come on, it, it, it's kind of suspicious at times. I'm like, oh, Travis Kelsey starts saying Taylor Swift. They end up making it. All the penalties. Lamar losing again. Lamar throwing into triple coverage makes no sense. It it just makes no sense. I get making bad decisions, but I mean, just wow, Lamar, just wow. And as for Lions. Oh, man, they win close games over the Bucks, over the... Who who the Lions? Who else the Lions beat? The Rams win close games over the Bucks and Rams. And they, 49ers ran for their money. And I don't even know what the 49ers are going to do against the Chiefs. Chiefs have put up impressive performances in all uh, all three of their games. But, um, man, I don't know. It should be a good game, you know, at the end of the day. Let's be real. Chiefs are good. 49ers are good. Should be a good football game. It's a rematch from four years ago, maybe five. I can't recall when they played last. It was the Shakira Super, the Shakira and Jennifer Lopez halftime show. I think, yeah, that was when that Super Bowl went down. But, oh, gosh darn it. I, I mean, it just it just hurts. It just hurts. I, well, the Ravens and Lions, you know, we would have been happy to see Lamar or Goff win. But, no, 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 no. So now, 
I guess we put our hope in Purdy. I guess we put our hope in Brock Purdy to stop the Chiefs dynasty from winning. But I'm probably going to pick the Chiefs. I'm like, come on. Come on. Taylor Swift is going to get proposed to by Travis Kelsey at after their celebration. Uh, I will be interested to see Usher's halftime show. But, oh, man. Is that Pacheco? Um, Debo Samuel? Uh, who, else do I, who else do I got? Uh, a number of other people. But do your thing. Excited to see Chris McCaffrey play for the Super Bowl. If Chris Mc, actually, if the 49ers win, Chris McCaffrey can get a ring. That would be incredible. Huge Chris McCaffrey fan since his days at Stanford. I wish him nothing but the best. But um, yeah, that'll do it for our conference game review. Was that easily able to wrap this up? I mean, there's only two games, so it's pretty easy to talk about two games. But we'll see what happens next season with the Lions and Ravens. It's hard to say. You know, you make it this far. What changes need to be made? Who needs to be added? Who needs to be taken away? A lot to dissect there in the offseason. But Chiefs win, 49ers win. They'll meet in the Super Bowl February 11th, 10th, February 10th. It's 11th on Sunday. See, I knew it. So I'll do it, guys. I'll do it here on the Surprise Jeb Podcast. Thank you all for joining me. It was fun talking about UFC, talking about the NFL, and talking about the 48 Laws of Power. We'll be back Thursday, uh, Thursday the February 1st, Thursday, February 1st, or 2nd, with a brand new episode. It's the first actually. February 1st, brand new episode. We'll be previewing UFC Vegas 85, maybe even talk about the Pro Bowl a bit, reviewing the 2021 UFC year. Checking in with our leagues, we'll be doing all sorts of fun stuff. Guys, make this the best week of your freaking lives, all right? Only you, only you can control your destiny. Give it up to God and see what happens. All right, everyone, I'll catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.